This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. I'm Terry South. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Matt Townsend is stuck behind a snowplow <laughs> as we've received a... Uh, Quite a bit of snow here in the area this morning. He'll be here in just a moment. We thought we'd start the show tonight as the Iowa caucuses, so finally we're going to have results to speak of. Not just pollings, polling data, not just people talking on phones or whatever. We have people physically casting a vote. I, I read somewhere that the, like, the, pe- the percentage of people that actually come to the caucuses is yeah. 6%. Yeah, the it's, pretty, it's the rest of voting in this whole country where it's such a small percentage of people that actually show up. But even though it's only a small number of people that show up, a uh, they're looking for a uh, they want a a huge turnout is good for Trump and for Bernie Sanders because they're supposed to be motivating a new type of voter, someone who doesn't normally get involved in this process. Whereas a Hillary Clinton or a, uh, a Ted Cruz, or someone who would motivate someone who is constantly involved, more politically active, you could say. At least that's the things I've been reading this morning. I don't know. Because at the same time, Trump, is, uh, Trump is, has his money and deals you know, the funding his way, and the Ted Cruz has done a lot of grassroots financing of his, his campaign, so he's attracting that type of a, a voter, but... I don't know. It's all going to finish today, and we'll just move on to the next contest in New Hampshire, which is uh, next week. So yeah. Iowa's gone. We don't have to worry about corn anymore. But uh, there, there is a, an added difficulty. There's a blizzard on the way. That, in, that, in Iowa? In Iowa. Okay. It should hit about the time the caucuses begin at about, uh, what, 9 Eastern. Okay. So instead of 6%, there will be like 3% that show up. Maybe. Okay. I mean, it's Iowa. People are used to snow. It's not like some parts of the country where snow grinds everything to a halt. So people could be prepared for this. Okay. But it is another factor as keeping people away from the polls if they don't feel like they want to go out in the weather. And and then you have the the whole situation with the Republicans where you just show up and cast a vote. And the Democrats where they have this whole show up in a room and everyone has their corner and then you have this sort of – debate on you need to come over to my side and it's just kind of a whole complicated caucus process is that only the democrats that do it yes. that way the then Re- how, how do the republicans do it walk in cast a vote leave oh really yeah okay so it's not i mean the democrat process the, the process the democrats has they want more of a town hall sort of feel to it where you get an exchange of ideas and there's a process and all or this. Or they where want to bully people into... <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. I don't know if they're bullying on people, but yeah, it could be seen that way. It's like in elementary school when your teacher tells you to put your head down on your desk and vote. So, Except here, it's everybody look at who's voting for Bernie Sanders so and the, make the, fun of them. The scenario would be you have the three candidates... You have Bernie, Hillary, and O'Malley, and they each have like a table in the room, and their supporters are around that table. Everyone who's undecided or, you know, the people who have already decided where they're going to go to those those groups, that's where they're going to be, and they, they undecided would be in the middle. And representatives from each of those uh, groups that have already decided go and try to convince the undecided to come to their side. 
after a period of time, they take a vote. Or they, they yeah, they, they take an assessment of what's happened. If the people in the room have uh, 15% or more, they're seen as a viable candidate. If they have less than 15%, then that, that candidate is unviable. All those people that were with that candidate are now like free agents and the other groups can now go and try to convince them to come to their side. And so there's this winnowing process down to when you find who, who wins that caucus. So why don't you just put O'Malley's table in the middle? You think he's going to lose a lot? He doesn't have a, a – well, and that's, they said that's the other problem is O'Malley's voters could actually decide this. Because if he doesn't get enough support in each of the caucuses, his voters will – his supporters will end up being the people that have to go to these other groups. And Sanders and Hillary are really close in Iowa, right? Yes. So it could be that O'Malley actually – his supporters decide who wins the – So kind of like a, a Ralph Nader kind of – A little bit. Tipping point. Yeah. And they asked O'Malley about that in the one of the town halls they did. They go, so basically you're going to lose – what do you tell your supporters? And he's like, stand strong. Don't go to the other side. But, you know, there's some realities here, too. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead uh, with the news here this morning as, uh, as we're uh, flying Matless at the moment. He'll be here in just a I moment. I know. This is so cold and lonely. <laughs> He'll be here in just a moment. No top of the morning today. No little leprechaun comments as we start the show. Uh, the latest Iowa polls have Hillary Clinton up 45 to 42 on Bernie Sanders. One issue that has gone that has not gone away is the question of whether classified emails while Clinton was Secretary of State are at issue. Hillary was asked about the ongoing issue on ABC News. Let's just get it out. Let's see what it is and let the American people uh, draw their own conclusions. This is very much like Benghazi, George. You know, the Republicans are going to continue to use it, beat up on me. I understand that. That's the way they are. I think it's pretty clear they're grasping at straws. Bernie Sanders says that this is a legal issue and that it will settle itself. He will not use it to get a leg up on the Clinton campaign. Some people want to add, as of yet, he may go negative, as some campaigns tend to do. Republican presidential hopeful Donald Trump overtook Senator Cruz atop the Bloomberg Politics Des Moines Register poll in Iowa, released on Saturday. Among like this is among likely caucus goers. Trump notched twenty eight percent of the vote to Cruz's twenty three percent, and Senator Marco Rubio with fifteen percent. Bernie Sanders raised twenty million dollars towards his presidential bid in January. Political reports. Uh, his money came from more than 770,000 donors, meaning an average contribution was quite small, just $27. More than 3.25 million people have contributed to the Vermont Senator's campaign so far, and almost none of them have reached the legal contribution limit. Police said on Sunday two Virginia Tech students were arrested and charged with connection to the death of a 13-year-old girl who disappeared earlier this week. Nicole Lavelle's body was found late Saturday on a highway just over the Virginia border in Surrey County, North Carolina. Carolina police said David E. Eisen, Eisenhower, a 18-year-old freshman engineering major, a member of the cross-country team, was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Natalie Keepers, a 19-year-old sophomore engineering student, was charged on Sunday with one felony count of improper disposal of a dead body and one misdemeanor count of accessory after the fact. Keepers allegedly helped Eisenhower to uh, dispose of Nicole's body. Blacksburg police said in a statement, police said that the uh, the man accused knew the 13-year-old girl and used his relationship to his advantage to abduct her and then kill her. In other news, four of the uh, there's four Oregon occupiers remaining hold up at the National Wildlife Refuge 
and now claiming that the FBI is cutting them off from the outside world by blocking their phone calls and shutting off Internet access. According to the Oregon Public Broadcasting, David Fry, who has yet to surrender to federal law enforcement, said he can still receive phone calls but not call out. He claimed that phones belonging to the other occupiers have become worthless, unable to call out or receive calls, as well as access the Internet. Writing on Facebook, militant supporter and Oath Keeper member Greg Whaling claims that he talked with Fry, who confirmed the phone shutdown, but added that other supporters who try to call Fry now end up speaking with the FBI. So they call the, the Oregon, Oregon protester, and his phone is rerouted to the FBI instead. They said FBI they were FBI here. Can you imagine all of a sudden the FBI? They said they weren't sure if the power had been cut off or the building uh, in the National Park area had been cut off from power. (laughs) This is a concern for us here at the station as we've been enjoying the YouTube channel. Yes, Set up by the protesters. Yeah, now we're going to have to work. If if they don't have power or accessibility to Wi-Fi or if their phones don't work properly, they can't use it as a hotspot, how am I supposed to watch what's happening up there on their Uh, YouTube? I have a feeling this is what ISIS would be like if they were live streaming. Absolutely. Don't you think? Sitting around digging holes. (laughs) We have nothing. At one point, a guy goes, "Uh, there's nothing much going on. We're just sitting around waiting. Was that a gunshot? Was that a gunshot? I heard a gun. Everyone's campers. Uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection announced officers in Chicago seized 16,000 counterfeit hoverboards. With unauthorized batteries and fake trademark logos, oh, the, the agency said officers with the Chicago field office seized more than $6 million worth of the self-balancing scooters that were shipped to the U.S. from China. The agency said substandard and counterfeit lithium-ion batteries may be to blame for multiple fires and explosions associated with the popular device. Officials said the number of seized hoverboards is expected to increase as the investigation continues. I would bet with more counterfeit hoverboards, more likelihood of an explosion. Could be. I mean, I'm, I'm betting they don't, you know, fake them incredibly well. Maybe they fake them just to explode like the others. They fake them just enough to make it. <laughs> to make it look real. Cool. Cool news, folks. Um, man, I made it. Holy Just barely. Cow. You got around the snowplow. Greatest thing in the world. Well, you know, in Utah, when they do a snowplow, they do like five. So on I fifteen, oh, it's, it's a it's a moving it's a wall, road, it's a roadblock there. Yeah. Five plows, but you don't want to pass no, them because they're making clear roads for you to drive. So it's the perfect, it's the easiest drive in the world. It's just about twenty miles an hour. Yeah, for I don't know thirty minutes. It was the longest, and then I got off the road. They finally got off the road, and then I've then I'm in Utah County, where apparently they don't have any plows. No. Apparently, there are no plows in the entire county. Oh, that's crazy. I don't know. It was fun. It was a fun ride. Hey, um, there's, I, a, there's a blizzard rolling into Iowa tonight. I know. This is going to be interesting, but I guess it'll be after, right, the caucuses. They're saying it might hit around the time of the caucus. Oh, so because- Because uh, it starts at 7 local, so that's 9 or 8 yeah. Eastern. So about 8 o'clock Eastern is when this uh, snowstorm is supposed to hit. That's scary. The Supreme, um, the supreme Leader, Branstead- the governor, who's okay. been the governor longer than anyone in the history of the U.S., apparently. Like, supreme leader? What are, what are we discussing? I mean, well, I think once you've been a governor, like, <laughs> six terms or whatever, you're a supreme leader. Yeah, okay. But he's he's like, it's going to have killer turnout. We're going to have good turnout. That would be good for uh, Trump and Bernie Sanders. And Bernie then. Sanders. And here's another thing I, I heard behind the snowplows, because I had all this time. Right. Um, the They have not – remember, we talked to – a. Uh, uh, somebody on Bernie's committee somewhere earlier this year. Okay. Uh, do you remember somebody that knew well, Bernie? He wrote a book about He wrote a, a bio on him yeah. and we talked to him about him. I guess today was the first time his wife has come out and had an interview. 
Yeah, she's been. She, you, you've she's seen quiet. her at some of the events, but she doesn't really say much. Big mistake. He should have had her out a long time ago. So I listened to the interview. I think it was on. What was it on? CNN. MS. No, CNN. She's fantastic. She. He. She should have been out there the entire time. But that, that's what the uh, the guy we talked to, the author we talked to, said Amazing. that she's a wonderful person. And I, I mean, she just probably didn't want to be involved. I, I mean, I can see that. to that degree. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting. He's uh, there's a lot riding on this. But isn't it great that we're almost getting started? That sounds weird. Well, it'll we've been it, at this a long. It'll time. change because there's actual numbers. Yeah, you'll see what Trump's effect really is. And so the half of the Republican field won't matter even more. Yeah. Right, and uh, at that point, you'll start seeing maybe some people start to make some decisions on what they're going to do in the next few months. But this is where it gets crazy because once we're done today, tomorrow all we talk about is New Hampshire. Really? Yeah. Aren't we going to be distracted by something in between then? Because New Hampshire is what the ninth. Yeah, seven days. Yeah, there's something in the middle there. What? Something. It's just game. Oh yeah, there's but. Some- I'm talking politically. Football. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Coldplay. You could ignore it. Coldplay will be playing at the game. Well, that may bring it back in because people will be bored because oh, they'll feel heavens. like it's halftime. But Dude, why am I in an elevator? You have no taste. <laughs> Coldplay? Are you kidding me? They're the best ever. Yeah, and they tried to save it by bringing in uh, Rihanna. Oh, is that who they brought in? Yeah. Because yeah. they're like, oh, we got to do something, Rihanna. <laughs> They don't have to. They always have an extra guest. They always bring on one or two others. Well, they try to balance the the age demo. They wanted they wanted me and Wiz Khalifa to do a little thing, right? But I was busy. I got behind the plows. <laughs> Darn plows! Interesting. Well, we've got a great um, topic coming up. So, what happens if let's say we we run three or four candidates to the end of this whole nominating process, right? So you have a Trump, a Cruz, let's say a Rubio, maybe, I don't know, Bush comes back, hangs on. Then what do you do at a convention if none of them have enough votes to be the nominee? It's called a brokered convention, folks. And we're going to be talking to an expert on the subject. Dr. Terry Madonna will be joining us. He's going to, uh, they're going to be walking us through the, the ins and the outs of a brokered convention. What happens if we just can't choose until we get to the convention What if there's not enough uh, votes to choose one candidate? Stick with us, folks. We'll be talking about that up next. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's been over 60 years since the Republican National Convention has gone beyond the first ballot, meaning since they just didn't go with the first vote in the convention. But uh, this July may be looking like uh, we might have a possibility of a contested convention. You may have heard that in the press with so many, you know, people... Not necessarily loving the front runner and so many candidates vying for our attention. So what happens if there is a brokered convention? 
you know, who better to tell us than Dr. Terry Madonna. He's the director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs at Franklin and Marshall College and the Franklin and Marshall Poll and the professor of public affairs there. And we're honored to have him on the show. Dr. Terry Madonna, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, good morning, Matt. Good morning. This is, first of all, let's just, what do you think as a public affairs kind of professor? Yeah. Is, what do you think about today? It's it's wild. I mean, no one has a clue. Well, we actually do have a clue, but uh, I, I mean, the process, as I'm sure many of your listeners understand, uh, you know, is, is in some ways tortuous. Oh. I mean, I'm, we're used to going, casting a ballot or, you know, voting and, and leaving the venue, right? Right, I mean, walking away. Yeah, in both cases, you have to spend considerable, uh, you know, considerable time. The Democrats more than the Republicans because you have to... In both of them, you listen to spiels by the candidate's manager, you know what I mean, oh, yeah. who are involved in them. And and in the Democratic case, in the Democratic caucus, and remember, we're not talking about 50 or 100 or 500 <laughs> or 1,000. We're talking about almost 1,700 of uh, these. Uh, across the state of Iowa, right? Yes, sir. Yes, oh. sir. I mean, and, and it boggles your mind just to think of how this works. But in the Democratic caucus's case, you have to, you know, when you announce your vote. In front of everybody. Yeah, at least in the Republican case, you fill out a ballot. Yeah, (laughs) you can save face. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully this year, with Microsoft app doing this, we'll at least have the results that are accurate. Right. Or at least maybe better put, up to date. Uh, Senator Rick Santorum actually won the caucuses uh, four years ago, but... uh, there was some dispute about some ballots, I, I understand, and some weren't reported. And it's understandable given the way the process works. And he didn't get the bounce. Mm. Uh, he didn't get anything no. out of it when, you know, the, the campaigns moved on to New Hampshire. It's uh, In fact, it's, it's a question that I think many people wonder why Iowa. I, I like one part of it I like is that it really means that as a politician, you've got to invest – your, right. yourself in a way that you right. don't maybe in other elections. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the, the real question that a lot of, and I've written about this in the past, the real question is that Iowa is not very representative of the no. nation as a whole. Right. Uh, you know, 92% of Iowans are, are, are uh, white compared to 70, 77% national. You don't have that diversity. And then you move to New Hampshire, uh which is another interesting state, not very representative. <laughs> a lot of folks think we we might be better off having regional, yeah, uh, regional events, and perhaps with some kind of. And I'm not. I'm just saying what other people think. This is not yeah, you're not taking a position. Yeah, that you know you could have public financing if you get a certain percentage on the average of the polls. You get the point I'm trying mm-hmm. to make, so that you give some people an opportunity to get their case out. Uh, some thought we could have a national primary. Now think about that for a minute. Then wow. we're talking about – and the one good thing is the candidates do have to go and they have to meet in households. They get – now this year they seem to be more mega events, you know, two, three hundred people. But I saw where one of, one of the candidates w- uh, ended up in someone's house. Yeah, yeah. With 20, and that's, that's also – it got, does make them a little more humble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, too, I like that in a way because maybe it also would yeah. make him quit a little earlier, yeah. maybe. Well, yeah, this will be done. This is going to end the candidacies of how many we don't know. But Mike Huckabee has said if he doesn't do well in Iowa, New Hampshire, he's gone. It's hard to imagine 
you know, the 12 folks on the Republican side hanging in there. It wouldn't shock me if we lose four or five. Mm. Uh, several of them have put all of their marbles, not in Iowa, but in New Hampshire, like uh, Governor Governors Kasich and, and, and Christie, mm-hmm. uh, Bush, uh, former Governor Bush. He's also in that in, in, in that camp. So and I think for Marco Rubio, he also has to do fairly well in one of those two events. But he could be the establishment candidate that hangs in into the next several. Third might be meaningful. Imagine that. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Would you ever think that third would matter? Right. But in this one, it matters, doesn't yeah. it? And in fact, he's uh, Rubio's getting a lot of momentum. He he might even do well tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, what, 15 percent, I think, in the uh, Des Moines, Iowa Register poll. If if that's the case, I think he could hang on, go to New Hampshire where he he's he's surging a bit. So you can't rule out. And then the process, uh, as as you know, gets absolutely tortuous after that. I mean, there's there's an event with uh, a 12 or so states on the Republican side on March one. Uh, then that and here's something else to your point, and this is important. The Republicans have changed the rules on what we call delegate allocation without getting in too much into detail. In the past, a state could be winner take all. Right. Now, that, meaning they get all of the, yeah. the, the votes to take to the convention. Right. They get all the delegates, that's exactly right, that are on the ballot. Now, remember, there are delegates who go there by virtue of their office and, and in other ways. So now up through March 14. Through March 14, but not including March 15, the Republicans have to use proportional. They get a proportion of the vote for the delegates elected, not all of them. And then on March 15, so imagine that now with, uh, you know, maybe 20, 23 events up to March 14. If enough of them hang in, to your point, where nobody gets a clear majority, nobody has a commanding lead. Then we go to March 15th when look at the states that are picking delegates. Florida, Ohio, Illinois, mm. you see the point I'm making? Yeah, yeah. And two of the three are using proportional with Illinois using all or nothing. But prime states, battleground states, pivotal states in the fall election, Florida and Ohio using proportional. So you're exactly right. This could go on. Oh. Uh, this could go on. Uh, for some time. Typically, if you look at where most parties' nominations have been decided since 1972, when the rules changes went into effect, that changed the way conventions are really, you know, what matters at national conventions, most of the process has been basically over. Maybe not the process because they go on, but, you know, the victor, we knew who was going to be the nominee by by the end of March. Right, right. So, So when... When this all happens, so it really need if Trump is is going to just steamroll this, right. he needs to create momentum tonight. Uh, in the next few, also in the next few, um, uh, con- what are they called? Convent? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like. Um, yeah. But if he can create some momentum, then others will drop out, and then I guess it will start to seem more inevitable that he's just going to. Yeah. Roll it. If he yeah. doesn't, 
then it's it really is just right. everybody grabbing their 12 percent. Yeah, that's right. Well, some of them wish they had 12. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or their 5 you know, percent. Yeah, them, it's so true. Some of them are in low single digits, and we don't. I, I don't think anybody expects very much out of most of the field. Uh, and again, we'll see some dropouts. But here's the one possibility. The new way to think about these candidates is that they're in lanes, like you're driving, you're in a lane. Yeah. You go from one lane to another. Well, the establishment lane has been dividing its support up among several candidates, as we talked about before, you know, Bush and Kasich and Cristio and Rubio. So one of them wants to emerge as the establishment lane candidate. So the whole idea is to stay in that lane. Eventually, when the others drop out to pick up their support so you rival Trump right. or Cruz, we'll see what happens, but a lot more likely now Trump, in hopes that Trump can get himself into trouble. I say that tongue-in-cheek because <laughs> yeah. nothing the guy has said seems <laughs> I know you'd think a lot of it would have gotten him in trouble oh by now, gosh. but it didn't really. Yeah, and we all, all of us so-called experts, I'm a presidential historian by training. Most of us thought, oh, this is, you know, after the first comment about immigration or yeah. maybe about Senator McCain not being a war hero or right. Carly Fiorina's face, we all thought this was done. It's over, right? <laughs> Goner. And he's yeah, still not, there. Not to happen. It's, that, that's one of the things that's interesting, too, I guess, that we can see tonight is does all of this – uh, you know, kind of polling matter today. I mean, yeah. the polls may not be what they used to be, right? Right. Yeah, the polls nationally, as you know, there have been some difficulty in in polls that were done in over in Europe, in Italy, and Greece, and Rome, and England rather have not been on the mark. And as a pollster, we're going through a real catharsis about how to get this done and how to get it done right. Uh, the reg the the uh, the uh, Polls done in the Iowa caucuses up, you know, in the past have been fairly accurate. Now, they, they weren't right, I should say, when four years ago when Rick Santorum was not right. looking like he was going to do anything and then he won the caucuses. But there was some uh, a volatility towards the end even four years ago. I would be surprised. I mean, the, the big surprise on the Republican side would obviously be – if Cruz ends up beating Trump, I think you would agree. And on the Democratic side, should Bernie Sanders defeat Hillary? That that changes uh, the game, I guess? Well, I mean, he's going to win New Hampshire for sure, where he has, in one poll I saw over the weekend, a 20-point lead. Now, Bill Clinton didn't win, didn't win either in 1992. Yeah. So it's not, it, it's not predictive, to be sure. And the sense is on the Democratic side for a moment with Hillary, that once these delegate selections move to the South and to the Southwest, that her support among African-Americans and Hispanics, because they're a larger portion of the electorate, and with the party establishment in many places, that she'll be able to win and eventually wrap up the nomination. The conventional wisdom is that she's still far more than, than not to be the candidate of the Democratic Party. Now, what we don't know is what goes on with the email situation and right. the FBI investigation, and there's back and forth on that. I think on the Republican side, most of us expected Trump to uh, literally uh, fall apart, to be <laughs> driven out of the race. That hasn't happened. 
you cannot rule out that he would be the nominee of the party at this point. Yeah, he's he's there. And I guess the history has been, too, that he's kind of solidly had 25 to 30 percent. And, yeah, and even getting up into the mid 30s. Yeah. At, now at some point. Yeah. So let's say he's somewhere at 30, 35 percent. If enough of them can hang in to go back to the question you raised earlier, if enough of them could hang in. The real hope is, again, that the establishment lane uh, ends up uh, congealing around one of the four candidates as these others get out, and that provides some momentum. And again, the Trump supporters, the establishment wing thinks that at some point Trump supporters will come to their senses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. But that's been going on for seven months or eight months, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not being facetious. No, no, it's it. right. I mean, that's that's literally the way that if you listen to the rhetoric, that's listen, that's what you hear. Is is so the establishment wing is kind of one of the lanes you're talking about. Right. Does Trump own his own lane, and then is Cruz kind of more the conservative lane? You know what? We wouldn't have thought about that in the past. You're exactly right. I mean, the way I explained it in the talks that I give is, well, the Republican Party is not one party right now. You have the even, you have the evangelicals, right? Right. And in Iowa, now, they're, obviously in Iowa, they're a lot larger than in many other states, but they're 50, they were 57 percent wow. of the vote in the Iowa caucuses four years ago. Yeah. They're so they're have, contenders. You have you have the evangelical. Yeah. You have the libertarian ring, wing. Think Rand Paul. Rand Paul. Yeah. You have the Tea Party wing. Now remember the Tea Party advocates not so much on the social issues, more on debts and deficits and government spending. We saw what they did in 2010 in the Tea Party wave. You know where the Republicans made these huge gains, recaptured this, the federal house. They didn't quite get a hold of the Senate. They got that in another conservative wave in 2014, so they now control Congress. Uh, so you've got, you've got the Tea Party wing. Then, then you have sort of the more, the more traditional establishment wing. And so you at least got those four wings of the, with reasonable support. You get, you know, and sometimes it's not, they're not mutually uh, they're, they're in, in a sense, they, they, they combine with each other, not mm-hmm. mutually exclusive. So you might have Tea Party people, some of whom are social conservatives, you follow me? Yeah, right. Or Tea Party people that do have a libertarian bent. But in the end, in the end uh, we're going to have to see which wing, and I'll put it this way, establishment or anti-establishment, I think that's a better way to put it, when you have Trump and uh, and Ben Carson and Carly Fiorino, they would be the big three in the non-establishment lane yeah. and the four I mentioned earlier in the establishment. Oh, man, this is interesting. Um, Dr. Terry Madonna, will you hang on with us, uh, Terry? Sure. I want to take a break, come back, and continue the discussion. Folks, we're talking um, about what's going on in the GOP, and is there a chance of a brokered convention, you know, if these different if these different lanes just continue to to draw their people, are, are we still going to end up dividing all of the GOP vote three or four different ways? If so, we might uh, have to meet at the convention and broker a deal. We're going to find out from the true expert how that is done and if if, if it seems likely. We'll uh, give you that information in just a minute, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. The flags go down. The fans get 
is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, what's going on in Iowa and the potential of a brokered convention uh, for the GOP. Joining us is Dr. Terry Madonna, and uh, Dr. Terry Madonna is the director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs at Franklin and Marshall College and uh, the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. He's also a professor of public affairs um, with more than 30 years experience teaching um, uh, in two academic specialties. One is the American presidency and the American political parties and political behavior. Dr. Terry Madonna, thanks again for being with us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're teaching us a lot, and I mean it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because when you think of Donald Trump having so much attention, taking so much energy and press away from everybody else, um, th- this is to get to a brokered convention. It's possible, I guess, then that Donald carries his thirty, and yeah. maybe uh, maybe um, the uh, the establishment carries their twenty eventually or 30, right. and the Tea Party carried 20 or 30, yeah. then yeah. then what do we do? We get to yeah. the convention. How does this go down? No one knows. I mean, We haven't done it like for that? years, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if we go back, let's say, 19, 1960s and earlier, conventions <clears throat> were largely resolved by party bosses getting in the proverbial smoke-filled rooms, <laughs> trading yeah. back and forth, and picking a candidate. Delegates were... Really not, you know. Delegates now are elected, and they're pledged to a particular candidate. And the pledge under party rules operates in this way: if you don't honor your pledge, you can throw you out of the convention. Wow! <laughs> they can kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all pledged, and they're, they support a particular candidate, unless the candidate releases them, you know, from their pledge. So in the in the back back in the good old days, when party bosses ruled and machine politicians. Uh, Politics was the order of the day. Uh, the party bosses would get into a room and they would pick a candidate, trade off for a vice presidential nominee, and 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 move on. Sometimes they were raucous. Sometimes they would go in one convention in the in the 1920s over 100 ballots. I mean, these were oh, not, wow. uh, there would be fist fights. That was not uncommon. These were pretty yeah. raucous uh, uh, events on occasion. So basically, after uh, without getting too much into the details of this, uh, after the disastrous Democratic convention in 1968 in Chicago, where there were literally riots in the streets outside of the convention, uh, the Democrats first and then the Republicans changed the rules to go to this system that we now have. So who are the party bosses? Yeah, right. It, there aren't any. No. The candidates themselves and the campaigns would probably have to negotiate. Now, it's still a very, very long shot, a long shot. Is it? But, but it, let's say it were to take place, we don't know. No, There are no rules because the system, the political system has changed so much that we don't actually know how that would, how that would take place. And it I guess be, it's safe to say we, we or whatever, the GOP does not yeah. want to risk it. No, no, no. Nobody wants to. You know why? Uh, I've been fortunate enough to get to 12 conventions, you know, doing political, you know, analysis, blah blah blah, and and they're now coronations. They're now showcase events where they're made for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what you want to do is to go in there and have no debate and no consternation and no bickering. 
you want to put the proverbial best foot forward, a wonderful unifying event. That's <laughs> yeah. the whole point. And get what we call a bounce after the convention. So nobody wants to go into these conventions with the nominations. The last time, for example, any party had a ballot that went more than number one, than one, one time, was 1952. Wow. Yeah. So – it's not. Now, it took some, you know, negotiations here and there after that. But uh, the last time we went to a convention, a little uncertain what would happen, even though it was decided on the first ballot. Jerry Ford over George Herbert Walker Bush hmm. in 1976. Wow. So we have no kind. Yeah. You know, it would be a fascinating uh, well, occurrence. Do you think? I mean, again, this has been the year of. You know, no one ever thought it would happen. Um, do Do you think it seems like there's a lot of really bad feelings about Donald in the GOP? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he draws the most. You know, the, among the highest negative responses in the polls. You're You're exactly right. When it comes to the second choice, he's not. You know, he's not there. You're exactly right. He He's not. Uh, well, he's so unconventional. And but here's the point. We are in record territory. I'll put my pollster hat on for a minute when it comes to people who have trust in government, people who are comfortable with the political system. And remember, Trump is also this is just not an anti-establishment move against Congress and against the president, against the fact that if you're a Republican, you think, well, we sent all these people to Washington and what do they do? They yeah. cave into the Democrats. That's what a lot of the anti-establishment people think. So, but and and they don't like what the president has done. They don't like his positions on foreign policy. They may not like the Affordable Care Act. We go through all of these, but it's also about a second thing. It's an anti-establishment feeling about their own party mm-hmm. that their party has deserted them. So there are really two phases of this. Two phases of this. And that's what we're seeing play out in the in, in the process. Now, as we move closer, if somebody wraps up the nomination, it, we will hear the, the anti-establishment wing will be going after the president and Democratic policies, which they will argue have failed. Mm-hmm. Less about their own establishment, because if they defeat them in, you know, in the nomination, why do that? You won. Right, right. Move on. Is is it seems like when Mitt Romney won, who would I guess have been seen as the from more of the establishment Absolutely. wing, um, when he won, it seems like kind of the conservatives, the uh, Tea Partiers, they didn't necessarily show up at the polls quite like they had hoped. Yeah, they weren't nearly. Oh, you're, there's not the kind of excitement. And remember, right. even into the convention, uh, and, and I attended that. The enthusiasm just didn't seem to exist. And then against a Barack Obama, where the enthusiasm was, yeah, was over the top. Ab- ab- absolutely, and and the other thing is, we've got a. Uh, we don't know. We're always looking at who's going to vote. What's the turnout going to be? What's the nature of the demographics? And Obama brought in, not arguing. No, he didn't do as well with. He did. He won the the millennials in 2012, not with the same excitement I think that he had in 2008. Yeah, right. I think you would agree with that. Yeah. And similarly, he does get over 90 percent of African-Americans. So he locks up a couple of constituencies. 
And the African-American turnout percentage-wise was higher than the white turnout in 2012, and that occurred for the first time in American history. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's who you energize and whether they turn out. That's what's going on today that we're going to look. Can Bernie, can Bernie get the millennials who overwhelmingly support him to go to these caucuses and hang out, as I said, yeah. you know, go, on the Democratic side, you actually got to go and hang out a lot longer <laughs> and go into a, a part of the room. You know, it's you amazing. Up, you go into everybody goes into their respective corners. And well, and Martin O'Malley for is oh, excuse me, Terry, isn't it true that in the, on the Democratic side, you have to have 15 percent of the yep. vote or you are basically eliminated? That's right. So Martin O'Malley's five percent or four percent, three percent could actually end up turning it. For Sanders yeah. in some of these caucus yeah, areas, that's not a bit. That's a good point. I mean, again, we don't know, but you can't. Can you rule that out as a possibility? Right. No. I mean, there's a lot of things that that uh, are fa- fascinating because we're almost in a kind of different uh, genre here, as you pointed out with Trump and uh, 12 candidates. I mean, and you know, some of them, uh, you know, Huckabee, Santorum. Uh, I don't even know what Fiorina does, Ben Carson. Now, Carson has still got a fair amount of evangelical support, where he he certainly did not show much uh, gravitas, as they say, on foreign policy, which I think hurt him. You know, his drop in the polls in part had to do with the one debate uh, about a month ago, Republican debate, where it was a debate on foreign policy, and he didn't show much. Right as they say, foreign policy chops. (laughs) It's such a – it really is. This has been an interesting year of characters. Yeah. I mean this this makes cartoonists those – you know, the the cartoon – the the cartoonists that love a good caricature, caricature, man, they're coming out of the woodwork now. Yeah, hey, but you got to remember it's a full employment bill for some of us. It's exactly right. (laughs) It keeps keeps the talk radio. It's good for the nation. I know. So true. Well, Terry, we about that obviously. I know totally. We appreciate you. I really want to have you back someday as as a presidential, um, an expert on presidents and American presidents because I we've got we got I got some questions. So once we kind of get a nominee or two, yeah. no, the two non party nominees, nominees yeah. I want you to come in and do uh, a little comparison of those nominees to historical precedents. Yeah. Well, we have three debates and. Uh, we're going to have to see what happens at these conventions. I mean, the con- one of the con- I don't know how much time you have left. One of the conventional uh, the conventional wisdom is that Trump will be a disaster uh, for the Republicans. That they could lose the Senate. They need five seats to pick up the Senate. Democrats have to de- uh, uh, only defending ten. The Republicans mm. twenty four seats. Oh wow! And yeah. This, and the growing uh, straight party voting something we can talk about. We're Ticket splitting less, straight party voting more, what that could mean for control of the Senate. At this point, nobody thinks that even a disaster by one party or the other is likely to change control of the, of the House of Representatives. But we are, yeah, we're in uncharted territory. This is, this is, you know, there are no rules. There are no conventions for us to use to go back, conventional thinking. Uh, to go back and think about this. So we're we're going to have to mm. see what happens. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, w- we will have you back for okay. sure, Terry. Thank you so much, and keep My up pleasure. your great work there. 
at um, Marshall and Franklin. We appreciate you. This is honestly, folks, man, this is it's happening. Today's the day. Uh, again, we just were speaking with Dr. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics at Marshall College and Franklin um, Franklin and Marshall College. He's also over the Franklin and Marshall College poll and uh, is a public affairs professor. We appreciate him. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Man, it's happening. It's underway. Finally, let's get some voting going, or at least some caucus attending going. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. The majority of America's impoverished are employed. That's right, they have jobs, and many even work full-time. So why are they still poor, you ask? What if you had lived in the time of Moses, or Genghis Khan, or Joan of Arc? How private would your life have been? Did people far back in history even think in terms of ever really possessing something we now call privacy? Listen to Thinking Aloud, weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. With more coverage of BYU sports than anyone else, we're now giving you more ways to listen than anyone else. Tune in to Sirius XM Channel 143. Stream us live at BYUradio.org or take us wherever you go with our new Droid and iOS mobile apps. And keep up to date with all things sports by following us on Twitter at BYU Radio. Bleeding Blue has never been so easy. Follow the Cougars on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Can you imagine um, if it just ends up being a Hillary Donald general election? That could be crazy, crazy town. But when you think about it, Hillary would probably love that because she would just play off of what a loose cannon he is. And, you know, is this the guy? He's offended everybody. And... If you think about it, too, nobody has put Hillary more on her heels than Donald Trump in the last few weeks. So he's willing to say anything. So he'll just play on the fact that she can't be trusted. She can't be trusted. She's uh, she's got her own issues. So, again, but it was the question Terry Madonna asked earlier, is this good for the country? Who knows? You know, it's I don't know. I've been disenchanted for years. From the process. So this is American politics, but interesting swing, too. What if all of a sudden Senate starts to swing Democratic? Talk about gridlock. Now you'd have. That'd be crazy, but maybe actually, you know, we'd force people to have to talk. Heaven forbid. Man, I get here. Ben's got a cold. What's your deal, Ben? I don't know that I can do a whole other show with you blowing your nose the whole time. Yeah, it's it's rough. That's all I have to you. say. Was that it? Yeah. That's really all you got? Today's National Freedom Day. Did you know that? National Freedom Day and Decorating with Candy Day. Two my favorite days. Who doesn't love free day, freedom and candy? What do you decorate? Nothing. My mouth. Ah. Uh. I don't know. I guess you can decorate anything. You can candy adds a beautiful treat to any topic, to any food, to anything you're eating. So Steak, kind of like a bedazzling 
well, technique? Like, just think of this. Have you ever just had like a really nice sirloin steak with some M&Ms on it? No, I haven't. Try it. Try it. Okay, I'll put that on my list. Or, you know, some gummy bears on a taco salad. Reminds me of Buddy the Elf. It does, totally. And then top it off with some syrup. Life is good. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. That's the first hour of the show. Uh, More interesting stuff. Remember, we're here to help you find the information you need to live longer, love stronger. Uh, Next hour, we'll be doing it again. How to speak so that people actually want to listen to you. We'll be talking about that next hour. You'll You'll definitely want to be in on that one. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's the Iowa caucus day. Today's the day. That thousands, hundreds, well, thousands in the entire state oh, okay. will gather to caucus. And the collective cockeyes, <laughs> that's a mix of Iowa caucus and Hawkeye. Really? Cockeye. Cockeye. Hey, um, they're meeting today to choose, you know, to basically have their first process of voting and choosing their nominee, GOP and Democratic side. It's going to be interesting. We're going to see. Is Sanders really pulling? Is he going to pull people? Or He's got all these youngsters, these millennials that want to, they just love him. They can't get enough of him. Will they show up for the cookies? I don't know. He raised $20 million in I know. Uh, he's doing great. In January. And I said earlier, his wife, they just need to have her speak more. She's awesome. And when she talks about him, I don't know that I've ever had a politician talk, just show more love for their spouse hmm. than Bernie. It was amazing. It was it was like Mitt and Ann Romney, kind of mushy. Like you feel uncomfortable sitting there? Yeah, like, wow, I feel like I need to leave. Should I go? You give you guys a minute? It was beautiful. And, uh, Do you know what the word caucus means? Caucus, I think it means to talk. To gather. They're saying it may come from an Anglican Indian word meaning one who advises, urges, and encourages. Oh, that makes sense. Sounds a lot like Bernie. It sounds a lot like Donald. Yes, he's encouraging you. This is interesting. He's urging you. I don't know. But again, Hillary's got the money. She's got the name. She's got the team. She should She should kill it. Well. But Bernie's closing in. We should find out. Later today, who actually has the team? Yeah, because the team is kind of how this. I mean, did he say how many precincts there were? How many actual caucus locations? No, he didn't say that. It's a huge number. It's like seventeen hundred. I thought you, I heard it's insane. And yeah. so you have to have somebody at a precinct captain at every single location to fight for you. But see, that's why it takes money and history, right? And just people that know how to. That's why you were you wonder about some people. Like that's why if Trump's only doing this by name recognition. That's – he's not going to do well. 
and that's kind of what's been implied is he's trying but to he he's trying a, to do these big events yeah. and just to motivate you that way. Whereas Ted Cruz is out and he has small groups yeah. going door to door and working that way. Well, and they may have a guy you know that twists arms. They may have some of these deals may have people that have been doing this for five or six elections. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, I'll caucus for you. It's going to cost you. But I'll do it, and I'll bring my people out. I need a steady stream of pizza. And the neat thing is, is it might be like a bus driver. Could be. That can get people out to the caucus that he wants out to the caucus, especially if there's a snowstorm. So that's interesting. That's going on today. Um, let's just – I think it's exciting. Let's just get that done. Let's just get her done. Get her done. Right. But then there's a blizzard that might impact it. There's a blizzard here locally. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. Is it still going? We're blanketed in white outside. Excellent. I thought this was going to be a small inconvenience, and now I'm back to wishing I didn't get rid of my truck. Wrong. It's a huge inconvenience. <laughs> hey, did you uh, did you hear about Chick-fil-A diet? I'm going to try a diet. I read into this a little bit yesterday. I want to do what's called the Chick-fil-A diet, where you eat chicken nuggets every day, every three hours. Nugget fest! You call it Nugget Fest. That's what I'm calling it. I don't think Chick-fil-A would like that. Unsurprisingly, Chick-fil-A has invented the plant. I mean, remember, um, and we won't name names, but there, you know, there's a sandwich store that has a diet that you just eat their sandwich and eventually you lose weight. They don't really have a diet. Well, well yeah, that's how they sold it. And then their, na- well, their, their guy got in trouble. Well, really, I'm not going to name names. It's not really a diet. They're just saying you could do this. He did it. So why couldn't you do a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget diet? It's all about – well, even this is being questioned now, but the idea of burn more calories than you take in. Yeah, eat smaller meals. People have eaten fast food for a month and lost 20 pounds because they ate a certain amount of calories, not necessarily they just ate a ton of fast food. And it's the pro, it's protein. I mean, supposedly – I mean, allegedly yeah. – Chicken nugget is protein. It's a lot of salt and other things too. But you, 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 what you do is you eat smaller meals, like an eight-count pack of grilled nuggets every three to four hours. Now it would only cost you about twenty-three dollars a day. But if you look at it this way, that's maybe a buck an ounce, a buck a, a buck a ounce hmm. of fat gone off your body. We'll have to see. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I question some of these. But I brought it to you because I know you have an affinity for the Chick-fil-A. I, li- I, I like me some Chick-fil-A. And I thought maybe you could adopt these principles of eating a pile of nuggets mm-hmm. and calling it health food. And you don't have to eat the fries. I mean, you could because you, you don't want to waste and it is a vegetable. At one point it was a vegetable, yeah. <laughs> Despite the lack of vegetables – the vital and vital nutrients, the all chicken nugget diet are actually pretty healthy. 140 calories for three grams of fat per serving. Plus you get all this energy to go get your job done. Yeah. Now apparently you'd have to leave your family or your life three or four times a day to go get your nugget fest. Well, you could get them all in one time. Oh, but that'd be a... A hassle? Yeah. What do you do with them? How do you keep them warm and fresh? Right. You plus, could, you plus, could freeze them, but eh. Plus, you want to see the people. Do you? At the store, the shop. Really? Yeah. When, they, when you walk in, they're all like, Matt! Hi, guys. Round two. Set me up. All right. Nugget me. Would you be tempted by the other offerings if you're just there for this specific 
nugget purchase? Uh, probably. I'd be tempted, yes. Like throw a burger on top of that? Yeah. They don't have burgers, do they? Is it uh, all just no, – uh, actually, I've never eaten a no, Chick-fil-A. No, let me just tell you, the best thing at a Chick-fil-A yeah. are their fries, their waffle fries. Okay. Oh. I think in there it says something about the, the, the complete shame and like crime against humanity not to purchase waffle fries. Well, yeah, I feel bad. Like, do you want waffle fries? Oh, sure. I don't want you to feel bad. They're so good. They're just fries. No, they're not. <laughs> they're little pieces of potato goodness. So what do you think? Do you think that has a I'm doing a it. chance of working? Yeah. Just nugget diet. Well, I don't know if it has I don't know. I'm gonna see. That's what I'm saying. I'll go see. Okay. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. I've also found a couple other emerging diets. Can, oh have you? We'll share those throughout the week. Try to see if you have one that's like, I don't know, fudge-sickle diet. Okay. Just something cold and fudgy. Yeah, there's a couple others that I found. I found three of them. I went, ooh, we could have a, a thing for a couple days where we discuss uh-huh. emerging diets. I mean, I don't need to be on a diet. Let's get real. I don't need it. But my wife wants it. Hmm. We've also been developing our taser-based diet, haven't we? Oh, yes. Have you heard about this? It's more like a therapy. Yeah. It's, it's a therapy. It's a cognitive behavioral thing where every time you think of eating anything, taste it. <laughs> and a really added advantage is if you're holding a box of nuggets and then you taste it. <laughs> Drop your nuggets. Warms them right up. It oh, also okay. gets rid of your acne. Oh, holy cow. Pores. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And for some, you lose hair. It's like electrolysis. <laughs> it's like a total total plan for the you. The problem we're still trying to figure out on the hair thing is we can't control what hair you lose. Oh, okay. We're not quite there yet. It's not targeted enough. No. Well, I guess it should be where we put the taser. Well, yeah. you'd hope. Yeah, so we'd start on Ben's back. Yeah. <laughs> We, we've had varying results with that, so yeah. we, we still right. need to test. Right. And there's just one more little caveat now we legally have to mention, that if you do have a pacemaker, oh. you probably ought not remember. Don't remember. Taze it. it. It does cause problems. Electrical charges do mm-hmm. interfere with mm-hmm. the pacemaker. So. Yeah. so they're microwaves. Don't walk by a microwave. That's a good point. And don't, yeah, don't get in a microwave. They might be shielded more now, the pacemaker, but I know at one point microwaves caused some uh, haywire with those. (laughs) Was that popcorn? What are you doing? Look at Grandpa dance. (laughs) Grandpa's dancing. Oh, no, that's his pacemaker, honey. Step away from the microwave, Grandpa. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, In a minute, we're going to be talking with Julian Treasure, who's going to uh, give us the inside scoop on how to speak so that people will listen. That's a skill maybe you need. What do, what do you mean? I said maybe. No, I no. I speak and people listen. That's well, that's my show. That's the the initial indicator that you get. That's why that's why they call me here. That's why okay. they call me here mm-hmm. in this studio. That's why they call me talent. But you might you might talent. have some things to learn from Mr. Treasure. I think we all would. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Everyone's going to have something to learn from Julian. 
So stick with us. We'll be talking about that in just a minute. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? The final pre-Iowa caucus poll results are in, and they show Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton leading the race for their respective party nominations. For the GOP nomination, Trump pulled at 28% ahead of Ted Cruz at 23 and Marco Rubio at 15 On the Democratic side, Secretary of State Clinton pulled at 45% versus Bernie Sanders, 42 Martin O'Malley, a paltry 3%. Good job, Martin. The Des Moines Register Bloomberg Politics poll was released Saturday evening in anticipation of Monday's, today's first-in-the-nation Iowa caucuses. Among other findings, Trump outpolled Cruz and what would be more feared by U.S. enemies who would bring about the most change and who would be more likely to win a general election. Trump mm. is more electable. Wow. Kind of a switch at first. It, it was like he's not. On CBS Face the Nation Sunday, Donald Trump was asked if it's presidential to be engaging in so many Twitter wars. Well, I'm in Twitter wars before, really, I was a politician, and now I'm carrying it out. And between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I have 12 million people, more than 12 million people. So, But Twitter is actually, I found it to be, and Facebook, a, a wonderful modern way of communicating. So, he says he's been on Twitter and social media for years, and he's not going to stop fighting with people. That's our president, future yeah. to president. Man. Should the president sit in the Oval Office and get in a Twitter war with random people? Can I don't you see know. the we'll Twitter see war happens. between Trump and Putin? Or Trump and, I don't know, Kanye West or <laughs> whoever. <It's> true. <laughs> Police said on Sunday two Virginia Tech students were arrested and charged in connection with the death of a 13-year-old girl who disappeared last week. Nicole Lovell's body was found late Saturday on a highway just over the Virginia border in Surrey County, North Carolina. Police said that David E. Eisenhower, an 18-year-old freshman engineering major and member of the cross-country team, was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Natalie Keepers, 19-year-old sophomore engineering student, was charged Sunday with one felony count of improper disposal of a dead body and one misdemeanor count of accessory after the fact the police are still investigating there. The U.S. Department of Justice is reportedly launching an investigation into the San Francisco Police Department, but it was unclear what the probe would be would focus on, the LA Times reported on Sunday. Justice officials are expected to announce details regarding the review today in a press conference. The police department has come under scrutiny for failure to uh, or fatal shooting of a 26-year-old black man, Mario Woods, in December, as well as a separate incident in which officers sent uh, homophobic and racist text messages. Mm. So things to look out for the Justice Department. During a recent Facebook earnings call, the social network revealed that it now has 1.59 billion users and a billion uh, users that visit it on a monthly basis. Uh, that's worldwide, which is up 40 million users since the third quarter of 2015. That accounts for around 50% of the 3.2 billion internet users globally. So they almost have half the people that use the Internet using their service. Mobile Facebook users, of which are $1.4 billion a month, also account for 80% of Facebook's revenue. Wow. It's all mobile. Most it's all of, mobile. Mostly from advertising, which helped it break records of $5.84 billion in revenue for the fourth quarter. So $5 billion in the fourth quarter of 2015. Perhaps the most interesting figure from Facebook earnings report is just how much each and every user is worth, on average, to the social network. That sum, it grew by over a quarter to $3.37 per user each quarter. Wow. Right? Not everyone is equal across the world. You may be surprised to hear that a U.S. or Canadian user is worth $13.54 to Facebook, while someone in the Asia-Pacific region is only worth $1.59. Well, that's rude. Kind of rude. I guess it's because it's you're spending money. Yes. 
it's it's advertising versus how you interact with the the service. So in other words, I don't know if they quite use it the same way. Well, if that's or, the case, my wife's worth like ten grand. Could be depending on individually down to you and your wife. Uh, but yeah, Sheesh. that's cool. So the average American thirteen point thirteen dollars fifty cents to Facebook. Facebook's done a great thing in a way because they've monetized it. Some of these sites haven't been able to make money, but Facebook has figured a way to. Wiggle money out of people. Well, that's good and bad and because sounds, yeah. now now you get blasted with ads just yeah. to try to see what your mom was doing or if maybe your kid has some pictures or something. Yeah, you, you have to wade through all that. You're sick of hearing. You're sick of seeing the pictures from my kids. Well, no, I just you, you hate my mom. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just I don't watch my family. I, I've told you I, I take my family. I put them in a separate list so I don't have to see that unless I purposely want to. Man, that's because it's Terry. about it's about family, Terry, man. Families are forever, pal. <laughs> they're great. Just, you need to just get used to. My cousins have a lot of kids, and they're doing all kinds of things. And just, <laughs> <ugh. laughs> it's great. It's, it's great. great. It's Good great. job, Good job, people. Good job, families. Love you all. Uh, that sounds negative. <laughs> a little bit. We'll take a break uh, when we come back. Julian Treasure will be joining us, folks. When we come back, we're going to be getting into how you speak, the words you use, the tone, the pitch. And the topics you choose to discuss, it may be why people don't listen to you. It just may be why people turn you off. So if you want more power with people and uh, you want your words to matter, stick with us. We've got uh, a great resource coming up. Julian Treasure will be joining us in just a few minutes. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> little hear me roar. You want your communication to be so strong that it's like a roar, right? Well, do you remember when you were a kid and nobody paid attention to you? It didn't matter if you had just found the coolest rock in the world. You know, your parents would just pat you on the head and say, there, there, run along. Move along, little boy. Well, what if you could figure out a way to use your words, your communication skills, and your voice to get people to actually want to listen to you, not have to listen to you, but want to. I mean, you do that, eventually people will pay you to listen, uh, to just come and hear what you're saying. So we, we found a wonderful article, um, and it's, it's a TED Talk. Our next guest is named Julian Treasure, and you can go to his website, juliantreasure.com. But he, um, he is a popular TED speaker and founder and chairman of the Sound Agency in the U.K. He joins us now live from the U.K. to talk about his article, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen. Julian Treasure, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. It's a great pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. I mean, it's everybody has a you know a voice. They all can speak. Not everyone, but we all have the ability to try to influence others. But you're focusing in on the fact that how we say it, what we say, when we say stuff, the tone we use, these things actually make it easier for people to want to listen. Definitely, they do. Um, the voice is an instrument that we all use. And yet one which very people are trained in using. If you think about it, we have four ways of communicating, reading, writing, speaking, and listening. We only teach and test two of those. Mm. Reading, I mean, it would be shocking, wouldn't it, if a child left school unable to read or write 
And yet, sadly, millions of children leave school every year across the world without ever having been taught how to speak effectively or indeed how to listen. It's so true. Those two things are very important skills in life. And in fact, they might be. Speaking and listening are, are just as important as reading and writing. I would say in many ways they're more important yeah. because this is the richest form of communication that we have. It's faster, it's more immediate, it's interactive, uh, and there's so much more emotional content when you're speaking because you're using so much more than just the words. It's not just what you say, it is also how you say it. Mm. And it's, I guess, too, um, moving forward, it's, uh, it seems like it almost impacts our professional life, our money-making abilities maybe better than i mean some people might not ever care to see you write more, maybe more than a an email or a, a twitter page or whatever but uh, or a tweet but in the end they they're going to they're going to hear you speak all the time well yes that's true although i think uh speaking and listening have been devalued over the last 40 years or so if you think about it most of the new communication protocols we've invented email sms yeah. messaging they're all text based and they are kind of uh, distancing us from other people. There's a great TED talk by Sherry Turkle called um, Alone Together or around this topic. Uh, it's a book she wrote as well. She's a professor at MIT. And her thesis is that technology, far from bringing us together, is actually driving us apart because we have this paradigm of people sitting next to each other texting somebody else. Oh, so true. I mean, and how many people avoid avoid having the conversations that are hard because – we just don't, you know, we don't want to go there, so I'll just text it instead. But then you lose so much of your ability to influence. That's right. Well, the research shows that particularly for younger people, they would prefer to ask somebody out or definitely to break up with somebody by text hmm. uh, because it's safer. You know, it's arm's length and you don't have to deal with the, the reaction face to face, which I think is, you know, it's a concern because the richness of voice, the power of voice is absolutely enormous and certainly if any of your listeners are up for making a difference in the world, actually for making a dent and leaving some legacy, you're going to need to speak. You're going to need to inspire people. You're going to need to enroll people in your vision, in your passion, in whatever it is. We, we can't do much on our own. And the way you make a great team is by talking to people. It's not by sending emails. Mm. So, so true. Talk to us in your article that you, you brought up the fact that there's seven you call them the deadly sins of conversation that make it, you know, maybe harder for people to listen to us. Um, talk us through what what are some of those sins and why is it that listening and actually staying engaged when people are doing these behaviors is so difficult? Sure. I, I'm not saying don't ever do these things. There's no uh, serious punishment for them. Really, the message is if we start to fall into the habit of doing these things a lot, then it does make us harder to listen to. And, you know, if I go through some of these, maybe the listeners can just reflect on, do I know somebody who does this and do I really like being around and listening to them? The first one is gossip, by which I mean speaking ill of somebody who's not present. So it's very tempting, it's very seductive to do this. Uh, it's a fantastic exercise to abstain for it, uh, from gossip altogether for a day or a week because then you really realize how much of the communication around us is that. And, of course, you know perfectly well that if somebody's gossiping away, the moment you step away from them, who are they going to be gossiping about? It's you. That's right. Um, the second is judging uh, or condemning, actually. I don't mean being discerning in life. That's obviously very important. But 
you know, we've all met somebody who's extremely judgmental and condemnatory and just um, everybody's wrong, everybody's, you know, this guy's weak, this guy's useless. Very, very rarely have a good word to say about anybody. That's hard to listen to. Oh, so Third, true. we have negativity. And, you know, the story I told about that in my TED Talk is absolutely true. Towards the end of her life, my mother, uh, God rest her, is, uh, she became very, very negative. And uh, it becomes so difficult to be around that. I took a newspaper in to see her in the hospital. She'd broken her arm. She was recovering well. And I put the newspaper down. I said, oh, look, it's October the 1st today. And she said, I know, isn't it awful? <laughs> well, if October the 1st is awful, what hope is there, really? Because her worldview became everything's awful. And when, you, when it's like that, you know, somebody will say it's raining again. You say, well, look, the forecast is brightening up later. It won't. That's true. <laughs> it's depressing. Yeah. It's depressing. Uh, fourth, we have complaining, which is the British national pastime. Now, I don't know about you and... Oh, it's um, here, too. It's everywhere. Area. It's you everywhere, Julian. Okay. Well, I thought you had probably had a more optimistic um, disposition out there, but we do complain about everything. Now, I'm not talking about, obviously, complain if you're in a restaurant and you get cold food or complain if somebody does something that's uh, you know upsetting you. I'm talking about complaining about stuff you can't control, the government, the weather, sport, you know, whatever it might be. That's just viral misery. It's It's not spreading positive vibes. And people who complain... The whole time, again, yeah, we don't really want to be around them. Then we've got excuses. It wasn't my fault. You know, what can I do? You know, people who make excuses continually, often slightly dishonest excuses. Uh, again, it's, it's not very good to be around them. Perhaps it's a faster and easier thing to say, sorry, this is what I'm putting in place to make sure that never happens again, and now let's move on. So uh, true. Penultimate one. Penultimate one we have is... Uh, is aggrandizement, exaggeration, hyperbole, which kind of moves into outright lying uh, if it goes too far. We all know people who uh, are not, uh, who are prone to exaggerate. To uh, and, and to be honest, this comes into language, and there's another great exercise I can suggest to the listeners, which is practice for a day or an hour even, if it's too difficult, practice saying exactly what you mean without hyperbole. Hyperbole comes from the Greek. It means throwing over, throwing far. And that's what we do with our language. We litter it with reallys and fantastics and amazings. And, uh, and pardon me, but I will just make a little comment about Americans and the way they use language. If a pair of trainers is awesome, what's a sunset? That's <laughs> true. I mean, that word it's true. has kind of been devalued to the point where how do you describe a, a sunset? So it's a really good exercise to... Uh, tone down our language and, and really right-size it, say exactly what we mean. And the last of the seven is dogma, my way or the highway, you know, confusing opinions with facts. And I, I do have a suggestion which yeah. is that opinions be offered by request only. Now, it's very rare that you get somebody uttering the phrase, would you like my opinion on that? Because the minute, they're, the, minute they, the minute they want your opinion, it matters. If you're giving your opinion before they're asking for it, it's probably not going to be heard. Exactly. And, of course, we do have to be prepared for the answer, no, I don't want your opinion. So I had a really good opinion ready to go there, but never mind. You know, we can move on. Because uh, opinions are not facts. And if we confuse the two things, that results in a lot of table thumping and a lot of um, well, not much learning, really. You know, you can't learn much if you know everything, and it's all this way. So those are the seven deadly things, sins. Uh, just uh, yeah, just habits. 
to watch out for, really, because they rob us of power in our speaking and they make us, make us hard to listen to. Well, I mean, think about it again. Gossip, judging, negativity, complaining, excuses, exaggerating, and, and dog, dog, dogmatism. I do. I Like you said, if I think of the people that use these or when I use these, I do feel like – I'm losing people. I don't I don't want to just sit there and hear the complaining or the excuses or the so the the, the reality of what you're saying is what we are saying matters. What we're the topic, yes. the content we're bringing to the conversation has value and make sure you're you're focusing on positive value. Definitely, definitely. And I would suggest to, just to turn to the light side because that's kind of the dark side of speaking. The light side that I would suggest there are four things to focus on in order to be received powerfully and clearly and to speak with maximum effect. And those things spell the word hail, so it's easy to remember. Um, hail as in to greet or acclaim enthusiastically. The H stands for honesty, being yourself, just being straight and clear. Authenticity is the A, and that is very much uh, standing in your own truth and actually not pretending to be different from how you are. The I is integrity, being your word. If you're, if, if you're somebody who, when you say it, it happens, then your words have real weight and real power. And then the L, maybe surprisingly for some people, is love. And I mean kind of agape love, uh, just wishing people well not romantic love. Well-wishing is a wonderful exercise. And if you're standing in front of a group of people, it may be a thousand, it may be 10, it may be just an individual, and you're wishing them well and speaking for their benefit, then they will receive you much, much better than if you have criticism or it's all about you, of course. That's the other thing we tend to do. Mm. Honesty, authenticity, integrity, and uh, and love, or kind of the agape, as you were saying, the, the charity love. Um, it's it's these are just very basic concepts, Julian, and I think they're so valuable to all of us because if we, if we could just keep ourselves centered on that. Let's take a break and come back, and when we come back, uh, continue the discussion of what makes it so people actually want to listen to us. That what we're saying matters. Um, there's the seven deadly sins, but then there's the other just basic, powerful cornerstones of speech, honesty, authenticity, integrity, love. We'll continue this discussion um, in just a minute, folks. When we come back, we'll also get into just some of the mechanics, your pitch, your timing, your tone, uh, all things that matter when it comes to uh, effective communication and speaking. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are uh, on the phone with uh, Julian Treasure from the website juliantreasure.com. He um, is an expert in speaking and uh, runs is the founder and chairman of The Sound Agency, a UK-based consultancy firm that asks and answers the question, how does your brand sound? Um, and he's he's been written um, and has written articles and uh, and shared those through Time Magazine, The Economist. 
He's he's all over the place. There's a great TED Talk. Uh, you can also go look, look up if you go to TED.com and and see the the work of Julian Treasure. He's he's talking to us today about how to speak so that people want to listen. And you know, I think we all just take for granted the fact that well, I have a voice and you have ears, so you're going to hear me. But you all, all of us, we all know what it feels like to not have somebody listen. And if you want power in your brand, if you want power at, you know, in your family, if you want power in your business, you're going to want to figure out a way to make sure that people don't just see you as a whiner or a negative person. And instead, they, you, you want them to listen. And he's been teaching us four positive ways that can improve your style is very much, it's just based in four simple principles, which is summarized with the acronym HAIL. Um, which is honesty, be true and clear, authentic, be yourself, integrity, do what you say, be trustworthy, and love, meaning wish people well, be there to do good and and to help instead of to to harm or to hurt. So, Doctor uh, Julian Treasure, we we appreciate you being with us. Honestly, to me, this is this is an art form that um, and a science too that we, that I think we've uh, we've all been missing. Yeah, definitely. Art and science, both uh, when you're talking about sound, both of those two things are in play. And I should say, Matt, talking about listening, of course, when we're speaking, we're not necessarily in control of what's going on at the other end. Right. One distinction I teach, which is a really important one that I didn't actually talk about in the TED Talk because I didn't have time, is the idea that you always speak into a listening. Whether it's one person or a thousand, we all listen in an individual way. We all have our own filters, and I have a different TED Talk about conscious listening, which goes into that in a bit more detail. So when I'm talking, I mean, right now we've got however many thousand, 100,000, I don't know, listeners listening to this, and they all have their own individual listening. Well, if it's a room and you can see people, then it's possible to start to spot that. Little things, body language, just a sense of how everybody's reacting to what you're saying, and also who they are and what they like, what they don't like. If I'm speaking to uh, an audience of, I don't know, octogenarians, I would be speaking in a very different way to the Mm. way I'd be speaking to a group of teenagers. So the listening is different from person to person and from group to group. And my advice there is to set yourself as a target of spotting the listening. Start listening to the listening. Ask yourself all the time, what's the listening? What's the listening? What's the listening? And you will start to become good at spotting it. And, of course, that determines the way you speak. Because just speaking the same way all the time, assuming everybody listens the same way, yeah. that's a grave mistake. In fact, just Saturday, I, I had a, a speech, two speeches that were back-to-back. The first one was to a group of women, older, probably you know adults, so maybe 18 to 80. And then right after that, 15 minutes later, I was asked to speak to another group of younger women that were ages 12 to 18. And the listening was completely different. The audience Absolutely. was different, and I, I, I noticed that I kind of went in with my original format and style, but it wasn't resonating. You could feel the dissonance in, as, they were, as they weren't getting it. It will affect what you say, so your cultural references perhaps and the words you might use, and also the way that you say it. So for a younger group, you might be more informal. It might affect the way you dress. It might affect whether you stand or sit and you know how your body language is and – how you relate to the audience. So 
all of these things are important. It's important to remember that. Mm. Um, and I think we, we were about to come on to the, the technology of the voice. Yeah. Really. And it's the thing that I, in the TED Talk, I called it the vocal toolbox. Not many people know they have this lovely toolbox of really amazing things that we can do with our voice. So it's important to open that up and just have a rummage around in there and see what we get to. Should we do that? Now? Yeah, let's get into that because I, I, and it's more than just it's more than just volume, but volume would be part of it. Get into some of these things because there's there's some things like the timber that we don't know about or the register that we're not paying attention to. Definitely. Well, if I can start from the beginning, one that not many people think about, which is really important, is stance or posture. Uh, we're very used to sitting at desks and looking at computers and talking on the phone. I'm talking to you on the phone right now, and I'm sitting down. If I lean forward to look at my computer, I don't know if you can hear through the phone line, but my voice changes because I'm stretching my vocal cords out. Hmm. Just in the same way, if you practice this at home, you put your head right back on your shoulders and your voice gets compressed. So we need to have our head nicely above our shoulders in order for our voice to work to its full extent. And that's something that people often forget. If we stoop or stretch or stand in an unnatural way, it can really affect our voice. And then moving on from that, the next natural thing is breath, of course, because your voice is just breath. Now, a tip for any of your listeners who have to speak in public and who feel nervous, you know that we come on stage and our voice starts to tremble a little bit like this because we're very nervous. Well, that normally comes from breathing like a bird, you know, tiny little breaths because we're so nervous. Take a deep inner breath through your nostrils, through your nose, a really big deep breath. That's giving you fuel because your voice is just breath, and it also calms your voice down and it'll calm your nerves down too. So learning to breathe well is a very good practice if you want to speak powerfully. And a great big deep breath seems to kind of almost re-energize you, give you the oxygen your body needs to get going. Absolutely. Of course, if you're nervous, the other thing you can do from the, I think it's the second most popular TED Talk of all time, Amy, is a power pose. Go into a toilet somewhere and, you know, put your arms up as if you've just won a hugely important running race. And But just doing that increases the amount of testosterone in your body and makes you feel calmer, more powerful, more confident. That's great. So breathing power poses, these are things that can really help with nerves. Then you mentioned register. So there's four registers, technically. I won't bother with three of them, which we don't use very much. The one that we use all the time is the modal register, which runs kind of from the head to the chest. So you can speak up in your nose like this. I'm speaking in my nose right now, or you can go into your throat here, or you can go right down into your chest. And when you go into your chest, where I am now, you get a bigger cavity resonating, you get more power and more depth in your voice. Now, depth is important because the research shows that we vote for politicians with deeper voices, mm. everything else being equal. We associate depth with importance, with size, with weight, with power. So if you want to speak in power, it's a good idea to work on getting your voice down into your chest and we are so prone. Most of us speak from our throat. We don't breathe very much. And we may even speak from our nose right up here. And we lose all that bass in our voice. When Absolutely. Nails, you know, doesn't matter. You can work on this. And if you find it difficult, just go get a, a speaking coach, a drama coach, uh, an acting coach, a singing coach. And they will help you to start to sense this and to be able to get your voice down into your chest. We've been in a meeting. Everybody's been in a meeting where... 
all of a sudden somebody starts speaking and their voice is you know coming from one of those other registers and you're thinking, whoa, that's weird or that's annoying or that doesn't seem like she means it. Well, let me mention just one uh, register, which is pretty common now in America, I'm afraid, and it's becoming increasingly common. Uh, it, it's almost fashionable, and that's called vocal fry. Vocal fry, I used to say this isn't used very much. It's basically speaking time down here like this. You know, it's kind of, oh, uh, yeah, we're really stoked about this, this kind of voice, you know what I mean, um, where the vocal cords aren't really uh, making tonal sounds at all they're just flapping and it sounds insouciant it sounds disengaged it sounds kind of maybe a little bit cool i don't know but it's a shame because it's avoiding all of the richness of the wonderful human voice and i don't think it's very good for you speaking like that as well there are some funny examples of vocal vocal fry on youtube if people want to go and yeah we've, we've had them on our show they're hilarious yeah, so I do advise anybody who's listening to this and, and gets tempted to go into vocal fry because all their friends do, well, go explore the wondrous power of your voice and you will transform the way you communicate in life. Um, so let's let's talk about timbre, shall we? Yeah. What is that? Well, I, you hear that term all the time, and yet what what, what does it mean? It's the texture of voice. So we use words to describe timbre that we would use to describe... Uh, real things in the world. And it tends to be that people prefer voices that would be described like you'd describe a hot chocolate, rich, dark, warm, smooth, sweet. Pretty much any word you can describe a hot chocolate with is a good word for a speaking voice, as opposed to thin, scratchy, squeaky, harsh, rasping, sour, uh, and so forth. Now, if you don't have perfect timbre, don't worry, because, again, it's something that can be changed with work and practice, and a voice coach can help you to get there. It's funny. So a lot of people, Julian, would think, a voice coach? Do I need a voice coach? But if, you, I mean, if you're in a position where people are listening to you or you want to get more people to listen to you and it could impact your job, it's worth getting, right? Well, I think we all have important conversations at some point in our life. It might be asking somebody to marry you. Yeah. It might be asking for a pay rise uh, or trying to get a job. Uh, it might be trying to get elected at something, anything, uh, leading a team. It, it is very important to have your voice at its best. And do you need to go to a voice coach? Well, no, no, I'm not. If you want to carry on speaking the way you've always been speaking, that's absolutely fine. And if you're getting great results, then perhaps you're doing well. Uh, I, I come back to the point that so few of us are taught how to use this amazing instrument, the voice. And it does have such enormous breadth and capability and qualities to it. It is a wonderful thing to discover. So actually, I think it's a lot of fun to start working on your voice and realize that there's so much more you can do with it. Mm, so true. We've only got uh, time for maybe one more um, one more thing, Julian. Let me just ask you this: if if I'm if I'm kind of a newbie, I, I let's say I go watch your TED Talk and and go to JulianTreasure.com. What would you say is uh, the number one thing that I could do today to immediately see some impact, some improvement in my in my ability to, to voice so that people will listen? 
Uh, actually, interestingly, I would say that is start listening consciously. Hmm. If we start listening to ourselves, and that would mean things like maybe record yourself, video yourself, you know, listen to the voice as it is out in the world, and listen to other people and learn from them. The conscious listening is the key to improving all of this, really. We spend a lot of time not listening because we're surrounded by all this horrible sound, and that's what the sound agency does, is help organizations to make better sound, hopefully make the world sound better. Right. Uh, nevertheless, as a result, we as individuals, we tend to suppress our listening. We, we're not conscious of it most of the time, and we don't even listen to our own voices. If you start listening and become conscious of it, then that is the first step. Then you're in a position to start doing something about it. Oh, it's so true. It really is. And then, you know, listening helps you become a better speaker. Speaking and understanding a listener helps you become a better listener. It's it's a cycle, isn't it, Julian? It's a circle. It is, absolutely. Speaking and listening are entwined in a dance. They're not separate things, and uh, the conversation requires us to be good at both of them. Oh, so true. Well, we appreciate your great insight, and again, suggest everybody go look up TED.com, and when you get there, just put in the name Julian Treasure, and you'll be able to watch that wonderful TED Talk. Also, go to his website, JulianTreasure.com, and look at his uh, his organization, The Sound Agency, which uh, will uh, be able to help you uh, make sure that your brand is carrying the right sound. Interesting stuff, folks. And it's all in your power, right? This is your life. It's your voice. And every single interaction you have could be improved just by knowing how better to listen, how better to speak, and share your message. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as somebody uh, who publicly speaks day in, day out, and the funny thing is you'll notice I'm not really eloquent, even though – don't shake your head. Are you shaking your head yes? I was nodding my head yes, yeah. <sighs> so rude. Um, but what I found is – Going back to what Julian was teaching us earlier, honesty, authenticity, integrity, and love will sell the conversation. So I try to improve my speaking ability. I try to improve my verbal skills. I try to improve my vocabulary. I try to just, I try. But there's other strengths too. So you every there's other strengths that people don't even pay attention to the ability to to just find the funny or find the principle or just believe in something and argue it from your position of belief without offending everybody there's other gifts that you bring so if you're not eloquent if you don't sound like you know you believe you belong in on the stage doing shakespeare then that's fine do it your way But you can remember that some of the negative things like gossiping, judging, negativity, complaining, lying, that's not always going to carry the day for you. And being more honest and authentic, showing integrity, believing in what you're saying, and actually watching out for people, that might sell it. 
Then there's the technical stuff that we were talking to about your posture and your pitch and your your um, register. Those will help as well. So don't don't give up on it. Just try to improve it. If you're a, if you're somebody that's a you know single and you've you just notice that you're not as confident as you need to be. Sometimes just working on your speech might give you the confidence to be able to go up and ask that date. I know ever since we've been teaching it to Ben, he's been rejected a lot more. But years ago, he would never be rejected because he'd never ask a girl out. Now he's rejected every single day. These power poses are awesome. I know. One thing, Ben, about the power pose, don't, he always puts his hands above his head like he just scored a touchdown. But, um, then you don't do that when you're talking to the girl. Do it before, and that pumps you up. It gets the testosterone going. Then you go talk to her. Don't do it like don't do it while you're talking to her. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I know. Okay. Just a little point. It's a little point makes a big difference later on. Well, it. I just need that con- that confidence while I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. It won't work because it looks like you're trying to score. <laughs> And that's the last thing any girl wants. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. More fun, more ideas next hour. This uh, is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. We have three hours on this show. We've done two of them already, where we give you the tools, the information, the insights you need to life. It's the stuff you need to get your life going. You know, we'll we'll do the news. We'll get into the news, but you can get the news anywhere. But how many times have you received the news and then you're like, well, so what what am I supposed to do? Like Iowa caucuses today. What are you supposed to do? If you're... If you're in Iowa, yeah. probably go vote. Yeah. If you're not in Iowa, don't. If someone wow. comes to you and says you need to vote, but you're not in Iowa, they're probably not telling you the By truth. the way, incredibly great depth there. If yes. you do not live in Iowa and you're not from Iowa, I wouldn't go to Iowa to vote. Right. This stay is home. the show where we give you the information you need. Stay home. Just stay home. It's not your time to vote. Now, if you live in New Hampshire next week, get ready. I believe it's vote. on the ninth. Yeah. If you don't live in New Hampshire, but you live in New Mexico, hold your horses. More towards the summer is where <laughs> you're going to be involved. Again, the depth that you don't get on any other show. They're going to be voting or caucusing tonight. I think uh, eight o'clock, seven o'clock uh, Central Time. Yes. And. That's going to be a party in like however many, 1,700 different locations. People will have be having a little bit of a shout fest. Now, it's different. Some old, I, I went to a local caucus at one point yeah. a couple of years ago. Was it a snoozer? Oh, yeah. This will be different. Think so? Yeah. It sounds like the Democrats have a different program than the Republicans. Republicans, you walk in the door, put your vote in, and leave. Oh, the Democrats, you go in, and it's this whole situation, teams. And you got to spend a lot of time. It's Lord of the Flies a little bit. 
There's some conches being passed around. Speaking of Lord of the Flies, um, <laughs> I didn't know you were going there, but if we're going to do that. Did you hear about the angry Montana man? Threatens to gun down a pair during an argument over roadkill. What? what? Yeah, I know. Over roadkill. Hmm. So a Montana man was arrested after threatening to shoot two men during an argument over roadkill. Kenrick Workman was taken into custody Saturday along a roadside near Bozeman where he had confronted two men over a wounded elk. Hey, that are you got What are you doing with that elk? The Madison County Sheriff said the elk had been struck by a vehicle along Highway 84 earlier in the day and two men stopped to wait for the injured animal to die so that they could salvage the meat. So it's it's like roadkill. Yeah. It's roadkill. This is something you don't see in every state. But it's cold in Bozeman. Yes. The animal was still alive. Oh. So then you just saw a lineup of people thinking well, I'll take it. I'll take the hindquarters. If you want if you want the front quarters, I'll take the hindquarters. Well the fifty two year old workman It's not like it was a raccoon or something. No, no, no. This was this was an elk. I mean that's that's gravy. That sounds gross. That's that's money. I mean that's meals, right? That's for right. the family. So uh Well it's not like it's a raccoon or something. He he spotted the men from his home. No disrespect to raccoons. No, no. I mean it's not like we're anti raccoon. Uh, but he spotted the men from his home, drove in his car to confront him, confront the men. And the sheriff said Workman shoved one of the men and grabbed a handgun from his car and threatened to shoot both men in the elk rage attack. Elk rage. It's not road rage. It's road kill rage. Hmm. Road kill rage. It's 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 popping up everywhere now. Nothing Great. worse than finding a bunch of people fighting over roadkill. Those were the very words Workman used when he was fighting for one of the le- one of the legs. Just let it go. This poor elk, though, uh, sitting on the side of the road, just thinking, "Would somebody shoot me? <laughs> Could I get somebody to just shoot me? Because I hate it when you're already fighting over my body parts. Fighting over roadkill. That's pretty sad. Hmm. But you know what? That's what makes the West so strong. What? What does? Fighting over roadkill? Yeah. No. See, how, see, how does that make the West strong? It, well, in other big suburban areas, there's just drive-bys. Okay. But in the West, there's elk road rage. That makes us stronger? Yeah. The West is stronger because That's of... how the West was won. Okay. That dead animal's mine. <laughs> Get off my elk! All right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was, that's an odd story. Sometimes I try to just do a little dramatization mm-hmm. like that kind of brings everyone into the story more that's great. yeah right yeah i think this is a good time that if you have an elk that's down taste it or what, what would that do well you just put it out of its misery maybe the taser wouldn't do that it would annoy it well depends. it, it would mean, numb it it was our. It's already injured. Now you're going to go up and like poke it with All a right. stick. I mean, okay, let's on. not do that. Don't tase the elk. If you have a guy that's fighting humane. over your elk. Okay. Tase it. I, I can see that. Yeah. You don't need to fight. Elk rage is very unpredictable. There's a lot of elk to go around. <laughs> yep. You know, it makes you just wonder how people survive. 
Roadkill. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Hey, um, uh, also, just in the Bad Boys file. Bad Boys, Bad Boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come? If you're going to get drunk and drive, hmm. do not go to Taco Bell. Okay. And do not fight over a dead elk or a dying elk. Both great suggestions on what not to do. In Gainesville, Florida, believe it or not, this is out of Florida. No way. Yep, uh, reports that a 25-year-old John Edward Hopwood fell asleep at the wheel of his Kia Sorento hmm. early Friday morning before he could order his tacos. The restaurant worker told the police she woke Hopwood up and he moved his car to a parking spot to wait for the food that he never ordered. Interesting. And the officers found him in the restaurant parking lot. When they woke him up, he failed to to pass a field sobriety test. So he was arrested for DUI. Man was hungry. Man was hungry. Why couldn't they just – they're like dollar tacos. Why can't they just bring him a taco? Well, I guess the key is you'd have to order the taco. And if you fall asleep before you order, mm. you're in trouble. Then they're not sure exactly what your intention is. They're not were. sure. Were you there to order or were you going to throw an ice cream cone at them? They didn't know. Mm. No. It's we're here to help. We want to help all people, not just those that order effectively and efficiently, those also that fall asleep. Okay, can you, you want a taco, uh, sir? The guy needs to stay awake. I we can't do everything for you. Understood. But I think maybe they could have just brought him a taco. What and fed it to him while it, he was asleep? Uh, just just IV play, taco? play the odds. Someone that goes to a Taco Bell. Might be looking for a taco. Or an Enchirito. I mean, there's plenty of to, of offerings, I understand. But they could have, I mean, give the man some help. Maybe He's he just, I think he just needed some coffee. Or some sleepy time, whichever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good that he pulled over and to just drive on into traffic. Yeah. That's I mean, least, yeah. And he wasn't speeding. No. He was just sleeping. <laughs> he wasn't hurting anybody. But the, the apparently he was driving at one point. Well, or he's a victim, and somebody parked his Kia right there in the at Taco Bell, and then they put his there, drunk body in there. Slid him over. Uh-huh. Mm, I've seen murder things. I've seen Have this. Have you seen The Making of a Murder? Yeah, this would be the next Netflix That's special. It. The Making of a Drunk <laughs> at Taco Bell. Anyway, we're here to help everybody. Let's uh, get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the world we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. Now, the Iowa caucuses tonight. The final polling has Donald Trump on top of Ted Cruz, 28-23%. Hillary Clinton leads Bernie Sanders, 45-42%, to all with close to the margin of error. So it's all pretty much neck and neck. We'll see what happens. Turnout expected to be high with new voters motivated to take part in the process. But this could be complicated by a blizzard. That is due in western Iowa around the same time as the caucuses are set to begin. I looked at the maps. It's closing in on Sioux City and the, the western part of the, the states. So we'll see what happens. This is exciting. Donald Trump on tonight. No, I don't have to win it. And right now you and I are sitting in New Hampshire. And as you know, I have a very substantial lead in New Hampshire. But I think it would be really good to win Iowa. I'd like to win Iowa. I'm doing really well with the evangelicals. And Shouldn't I now have a fairly substantial lead in Iowa. I think we have a good chance of winning Iowa. I'd like to. Shouldn't he be in Iowa? He is. But over the, la- the later well, that was part- last night. Last week they interviewed him for okay. CBS and they aired it Sunday morning. So, you know, Thursday, Friday, yeah. he was in New it Hampshire. It just seems like he should be hustling. Hey, get, yeah, hey, well, let me let me fly you to the caucus. 
Well, did you see what he did? He he, he landed his plane at the yeah. airport, and then they like took all the took a bunch of kids and ran them through the airplane, and right because you know it's like the helicopter at the state fair. Just put the kids in it; everyone's going to everyone will be happy. Donald Trump is now doing what many doubted: investing his own funds in an increasingly organized national campaign. Trump released new financial data about his campaign late Sunday night, as required by federal election law, and the numbers suggest an operation built for the long haul. Over the last three months, Trump funded his campaign with ten million, ten point eight million in loans and a $100,000 donation, his largest personal investment to date. Supporters also donated $2.6 million, with the most money coming from Florida and California. Trump spent la- uh, far less than most of his rivals last quarter. Clinton and uh, Bernie Sanders both topped $30 million. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz each spent about 15 while Trump spent just $6.9 million. Mm, he's spending his money. And we know that uh, Jeb... Jeb exclamation point. And his super PAC have spent around $82 million to this point. He is trending at 3% or wow. less. So we'll see what happens with, with old Jeb. Uh, Republican presidential contender Donald Trump has been looking for ways to reach out to evangelicals. He just said in that clip that we aired that he's trending well. Um, he went to church on Sunday. The businessman and his wife attended church services at the non-denominational First Christian Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Cool. But when the communion plates were passed, Trump mistook it for a donation plate and dug out bills and put it in the communion plate. Oops. Which is different, different. than passing the plate well, for it's donations. Well, it's better than taking any money out. Yeah. Uh, later, I mean, somebody pointed that out and he took the money back and then they, the collection plate came by and you put the money in. They kind of laughed at it later, but uh, some people are saying, you know, you probably know the difference if church was something you had as part of your life. <laughs> He can't win, can he? That's just saying. Say yeah, yeah. At least two dozen suspected members of the Cienola cartel were arrested on Friday in an all-day sting that took place at the border between Arizona and Mexico. The sting was referred to as Mexican Operation Diablo Express. Diablo Express. And involved the cooperation between Homeland Security agents, a unit of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, and Mexican authorities. The operation also resulted in the seizure of hundreds of pounds of drugs and some assault-style weapons. Wow. The Diablo Express. Yeah, that's... You almost need a whip or something. Is that a good name for a joint operation on the border? Oh, for sure. Diablo Express. Have you ever been on the ride at Disneyland called Diablo Express? I have not. Fantastic. Nice. Lots of drug cartel weapons, guns being fired. It's incredible. Uh, it has been an incredible week for Cedric Arguerta of Los Angeles. Yes. First, he found out he earned a perfect score on the AP calculus test. Wow. Then he was personally invited to the, the White House by President Obama for the science fair that they hold there. The 17-year-old Lincoln High School uh, senior correctly answered more than 60 multiple choice and free response questions on the fundamental theories of calculus and was one of just 12 students in the world out of the 302,000 who took the test last May to come back with a perfect score. Holy cow. Arguetta didn't stop there. The LA Unified School District announced he also received a perfect score on the English and math sections of the ACT, the college instructs exam. He goes, all credit can, can't come to me, he told NBC Los Angeles. He goes, I have to give credit to my classmates and my teachers. And my app that I was using to cheat through the entire thing. <laughs> there you go. That is amazing. What a cool deal. So it was AP Calculus perfect score and yeah. then ACT perfect score. My scores were so horrible, I chose not to remember them. I, I, chose, the, I chose to block them out of my mind. I took, what was it, AP History? Yeah. And we the next day after the test, we came back. Uh, people knew the scores, and our teacher 
Um, he didn't. They said basically, and then so I, it was it was hard. It was a difficult yeah. situation for me. I did not perform well. Went to college, and I someone was giving a a seminar, and they started talking about AP scores, and they said if you score below this, there's really no hope for you. Yeah, you and you're roadkill. Like, I was like, what? I'm ruined. My life, you know. It was you it was, were de- it devastated. You. It, it was a, it was a difficult time. It what? was a complete waste of money, is what yeah, it was. I'm sorry. When I turned mine in, my teacher looked at me and they just laughed. You and I took the. You're a- so funny. I took the ACT, and of course, when I took it, my yeah. little brother, who was in ninth grade, was taking it for fun. Oh. Blew me out of the water. I hate people like that. Oh. Those little brothers that try to pass the ACT. That's why I never had a brother. Um, Here's the deal, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, one of our great contributors, Kim Giles, will be joining us from Clarity Point Life Coaching. She's going to be talking with us about some things you might want to do to uh, have a fearless job interview or performance. If you need to go step up and just nail it, we'll uh, be talking with our, uh, our guru on losing the fear. Kim Giles. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, on the phone with us today is Kim Giles. She is one of our great contributors uh, from the Clarity Point Life Coaching Program. If you go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com, you can get uh, all of her information about her books. She's a coach, an author, a speaker, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America back in 2010. And uh, since then, we have actually placed her as the Galaxy's top 10 advice guru, one of the top 10 advice gurus. So she's moving on up. She's published probably nearly 300 articles uh, by now and is a great resource uh, for all of us. Kimberly Giles, how are you, my friend? Great on the snowy morning. I know. I It took Crazy me forever to get here, so I'm glad you didn't drive down. Yeah. I decided phone would be safer today. Phone is safer. Thanks for having me anyway. You bet. Thanks for being online. Today you're going to talk to us about how to lose the fear uh, when it comes to a job interview or a performance, something that's kind of psyching us out. Yeah, we all get nervous and scared when we have to either perform in front of people or, or, you know, perform well in an interview can be extremely scary because there's so much writing on it. You know, the blowing it there is going to mean, you know, horrible things for our life and our family, and we put all this pressure on ourselves. And the more fear you have around it, really, the worse you're going to do. Oh, yeah. And then you psych yourself out, right? Because the fear is your body's physiology. And once it starts, you know, creating that dry mouth and that anxiety and you feel your heart racing, you know, a lot of other things can go wrong. Yeah, they they literally have have proven when you're in that fear mode, your fight-or-flight response, your brain kind of shuts down, too. You literally can't remember anything, so you're really going to, you know, blow it if if you're in fear. So true. You know what? Get out of fear. You do, and it's – I remember vividly watching, and it was a public speaking. It's when I learned that, you know what, I might be able to be a public speaker, but – 
I was watching a woman that was speaking, and you could see she was totally in fear. Her fight or flight was kicking in. Her mouth was going dry. Her tongue was like sticking to the roof of her mouth. And her hives, she started getting hives. And they started like working their way up her neck. And you could literally see her neck going red and red. And I was like... My heart's breaking for her now. I know. I felt so bad for her. And I started thinking, is that what I look like? And I realized, so right after I did a speech once, I went out and I looked in the mirror in the bathroom and I realized that I wasn't doing that. And I thought, okay, remember that. You feel like you're losing everything, but you're not. Nobody even notices. Not, nobody notices that your heart's up a little bit. And it, I started to psych myself down. I started to bring myself down. Awesome. It, but that's what you're saying is everyone can do this. Yeah, we really can. We, we have the power to control what we're experiencing. And I know a lot of people struggle with that, believing that it's out of their control. But there really are some things that you can do to calm yourself down, no matter you know what the situation is before a job interview or a performance, a big game, you can calm yourself down and get, get back into a, a peaceful place where you can perform better. You just got to know how. You bet. Okay, give us the tips. What do we do? What do we do, Kim? Okay, so I've I've got some really amazing techniques for thinking your way out of the fear. The problem is when you're in fight or flight, you can't think. Right. So we kind of have to deal with the physiological reaction first. And there's lots of ways to to kind of calm down that parasympathetic nervous system. My favorite is some diaphragmatic breathing and I can do this anywhere, and nobody knows what I'm doing. If I'm in a waiting room before a job interview, just lean back in your chair and, and put your hands up above your, um, behind your head. You know, just like you would kind of leaning back in your chair at work. Yeah. So hands up behind your head, and then just start taking some big breaths and feel your chest and stomach expand and contract on each breath. Do that for just a few minutes, and, and you'll be amazed. It literally will calm your nervous system down. It, it's, it's an amazing technique, and you can do it anywhere. Oh, I, I do it, too. Yeah, I love that one. But it works you, really great. Well, it does, and, it, and you, like you're saying, you can do it anywhere. You don't need to, you don't, and you don't need to get in your gym clothes to go do it. You can just do it right before you walk into the interview or whatever. Yeah, and people will just think you're chilling. They won't They won't really know what you're doing. But I promise after a few minutes of that, you're going to feel yourself calm down. Sometimes I can even almost feel endorphins kind of being released as I'm doing that. Yeah. So that would be step number one. Okay. And then we want you to think, have a couple mindset shifts about yourself and, and the interviewer, the performance. And the first one I recommend is that you – Remind yourself that your value as a person is not attached to this performance or this interview. And, you know, this is one of my, my secret tricks to having better self-esteem and just feeling good about yourself is that you've got to accept as a principle of truth for you that human value doesn't ever change that your value as a human being is actually infinite and absolute, that intrinsic worth is always there, and it's not on the line or in question. And that's a big belief shift for a lot of us because we've spent our whole life feeling like life is a test. And our value is in question every minute of every day, and we've got to prove we even have value. 
But I want listeners to understand that's just an idea. It's a belief that you've accepted. It's not truth. That's so true, huh? That that but we like the belief. Why? Why is it that we keep thinking our value is in question? Well, we've kind of just been subconsciously programmed to see life that way because our parents saw life that way. They always felt like their value was in question. So we've all just kind of accepted that as a truth. But I really believe that our, your value as a human being is based in your nature as a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable child of God. And, and nothing that goes on here in the classroom of life can touch that fact. It, it's bigger, which, which just means that human value never changes. You have the same value as everyone else on the planet, and you always will, no matter if you blow it or do well, your intrinsic value stays the same. Mm. And, and if I just kind of take a minute and remind myself, that no matter how this interview goes or this performance goes, at the end of it, I'm still going to have the exact same value I had going in, that this moment can't change my value as a person. And that just, oh, I just oh. take the space. Hey, nothing is really at risk. Yeah. My value is the same no matter what happens. That's so true. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah, and, you know, I know when I first teach that principle to a lot of people, Matt, they're like, that sounds really good, but my programming is so caught up in fear of failure and not being good enough. That's, that's kind of hard to see how that's really going to sink in. And, and that's why, you know, I give away all these resources on my website, all kinds of, of articles and things people can read to help them accept and, and really make this idea that your value is infinite and absolute internalized so that you feel it. Mm. So if you struggle with that one, go to claritypointcoaching.com and and get some resources to help you sort of accept that more. You also mentioned that we should remind ourselves that there is order in the universe. What do you mean by that? Okay, so either the universe is completely chaotic and random and bad luck things just happen to you and none of it has meaning and purpose, or... We live in a universe of order where things happen for a reason and there are no accidents. And the universe is literally a wise teacher that is providing you lessons every day. And it's always literally conspiring to serve you, bringing you the perfect lessons for you every day. And I believe that that's truth, that, that the universe knows what it's doing. And that means that basically if you're meant to get this job, if it would be your perfect classroom to work at this place, you'll get it. But if it's not your perfect classroom, if there's another place that's going to provide more opportunities for growth, for you to become who you're meant to be, you're not going to get it. But either way, you're okay and you really have nothing to fear because you will always be in the perfect place for you at that point in time. Now, again, that's a different mindset perspective on life, but it's a really powerful one that will bring so much peace and calm into your life if you just trust the universe. Yeah. Trust the flow. And I I have a, a favorite quote by Oprah Winfrey. She says, I trust in the ebb and flow of the universe. I trust that life's bigger than what I can see, that there's divine order beyond my control, and I trust no matter what happens, I'll be all right. Hmm. And that's exactly the kind of mindset I encourage my clients to have because, you know, then you're in this interview, but 
you know no matter the outcome, you're good. Your value is not in question. I mean, at this point, there really is nothing to fear. That's right. It, totally it, calm. It's going to it's going to turn out, and you'll be fine. Absolutely. Mm. And the more that you you believe that, it, it's crazy. But you'll calm down, and you'll do better, and it's more likely that it's going to go well. Yeah. No, that's so true. It's, it's a good mindset to adopt. Let's let's take a quick break, Kim, and come back and continue learning how to lose the fear in a job interview or a performance. How to reach that level of being fearless. We'll have more in just one minute, folks. More with Kim Giles right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. She is a uh, just a great coach and author and is teaching us today about how to become fearless in our job interviews when we have to have a performance, how to just lose the fear. She taught us first you got to get over it physiologically, some deep breathing techniques she taught us, but then you got to change how you see the situation Remind yourself your value as a person is not on the line, and remind yourself that there's order in the universe. Next uh, up, Kim, talk to us about now that I'm in front of the audience or I'm in front of the person I'm interviewing with, what am I supposed to do now? Okay, so my next tip would be take the two things we just talked about and, and remember that this means that you and this interviewer are the same. You have the same value as human beings. He's up better than you just because he's in a position of power here, you know, to determine your fate. He's still a human being with the same value as you, and he's got the same fears as you. And really, you're, you're more the same than you are different, and the more that you choose to see the other person as the same as you, you won't be as intimidated. Right. And, and that'll make the interview better right there. And then this next one I think is the biggest thing I could tell you that will will just change the whole energy in the interview, and, and it's to focus more on giving than getting. And what I mean is most of the time when we go into a job interview, we're completely focused on trying to get what we want and need to get this job, to get them to like us. And, and the energy behind this is a really selfish, fear-based energy, and it's all about you. And people feel that, and it's not an energy that's attractive. And so you'll do a lot better, no matter what you're going into, if you'll focus on being a giver. And in a job interview setting, that would look like, I am here to serve this company. I want to know about you guys and how I could best be of service, if this fits, so that I'm the best person for the job. That's great, because I would love to serve you guys and, and work here. But your whole energy is a giving one. It will be a lot more attractive to the person interviewing you than if you're focused on begging for the job. Oh, it's now, true. You do the same thing when you give a speech, and and I bet Matt, you've experienced this as I have because we both do a lot of public speaking. If I'm up there and I'm worried about my performance and doing good enough and having the people like me, I I will. I'll be in fear energy, and I won't perform as well as I do if I'm completely focused on serving that group. Yeah, it's true. And my whole focus is on them. I'm not as nervous, 
right? And, right. and I think it's because you can't do fear and love at the same time. It's, it's a one or the other. So if you are focused on your love for those people and giving to them, the fear just goes away. Oh, that's true. That. Yeah, totally. No, and and then it's also um, my spirit changes, and I become more authentic. I become more real, less fearful. I mean, it's uh, you're changed. Yeah, yeah, I love absolutely. that. Absolutely. And and I always I always tell my clients this works because love is even more attractive than confidence. Yeah. So more than being confident in that interview or up on that stage, I want you to be in love energy because that just makes people love you. It's true. No, it's sure. totally true. And and I, I mean, even, like I love the idea of doing that in a job interview, or you, I mean, even a performance. Like my, I've seen my daughter have to perform, you know, to get a scholarship or something, and I've seen her perform at a funeral. And the one, she was much more calm. The funeral, it was just more easy. It was easier for her to just perform because she wasn't. It was just about loving that person. Right. Where the the college one, I'm sure she has all this fear because of what's on the line right. and what she needs. Absolutely. No, that's huge. That's a great that, – that really is that, – that could be a deal maker. And notice it's in your head, really. You're just saying get in your head the fact that you're going to give here and make sure that you can give and it's a good give for both of you instead of just what you're going to get. Absolutely. I, I actually had one of my children bring up that this would work when I'm playing a sport, too, because they get nervous about this big game. But if you're out there for the love of the game and your teammates and to have fun and love playing, you're going to do a lot better than you let the pressure of your performance get you. So this can apply anywhere. Yeah, no, totally. That's great advice. And your last one is just handle yourself like a pro. What do you mean? dress professionally you want to walk in with confidence i think it's really confident to be the first one to say hey hello how are you today you know be the first one to go there it just shows that you 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 can own a room and feel comfortable being you and and you know always make eye contact and and i've interviewed a lot of people myself and i notice that people fidget a lot and they're they're twisting their hair they're playing with their clothes those are really signs that they're very self-conscious and not comfortable. So, you know, just be you, but be you focused on love and giving and, and in trust that you've got nothing to fear, and you'll do great. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, really, I mean, just looking the part, knowing that you're dressed, knowing that you're ready, knowing that you're prepared, you've thought this through, that in and of itself brings you confidence that could erase some fear. Absolutely. And, you know, if we've got listeners that are, like, listening to us thinking, this sounds so good, but, you know, I get so anxious. I have so much fear and anxiety. I would recommend that they get my book just because it's got such a simple system to help you overcome some of those deep subconscious fears that have probably held a lot of us back our whole life. And And, and where do they get that? Capacity or uh, ClarityPointCoaching.com. Yeah, or Amazon. Or Amazon. Um, yeah. Choosing clarity, the path to fearlessness. That's awesome. You did it. You are you got more stuff. Again, on the website, tons of resources, articles, videos. Go, everybody, go watch those. And uh, Kim, thanks again for helping us be better. 
Thanks for having me, Matt. Always fun. And Hopefully weather will be better I next know. time, and I'll come down the studio. Get on down here. Kimberly Giles is her name, folks. Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out that website and uh, all that there is there to, to elevate each of us and our own games by minimizing our fears. Powerful stuff. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Go down to two fearless wonders, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Elton John, Crocodile Rock. Love this man. And uh, nobody knows how to rock it better than the two guys down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? And I know such you, a nice introduction. Thank I, you. I know you guys love uh, EJ. As El- in Elton John? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've never heard him referred to as EJ. Oh, yeah. You, you're probably not a... You're probably not a big Rocket Man fan. And the Jets. Oh yeah, EJ. No, I don't know that anybody's actually ever referred to him as EJ. But I'm just trying to show that I'm I'm hip. I'm down. I'm cool with that. Why do you feel like you have to do that, Matt? Well, I I feel like you guys are just you got so much going on, and I'm trying to elevate my game to be like you guys. You young, healthy, higher man. Well, that's what everyone else has been saying, but. <laughs> But no, I want to be like you two when I grow up. Why would you want to do a silly thing like that? Because you do it. Don't you... grow up. <laughs> Is Why? that the key you to your success? You can never go back to Never Never That's the key to your success, you two, because every time we do a segment, you always break into like just doing voices. Run home, Jack. Stuff like that. <laughs> you just shout stuff out that nobody understands what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, again, why do you want to be like us? I don't know. It's just you're just fun. Hey, <laughs> I got something for you. I'd love to hear it. Did um do you guys want to go with me on a kind of a guy trip? Where is sure, it? Where when is it? Florida. 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 Okay. Florida. Uh I, I I'm going to go enter into a, a, a I, don't, I guess it's called a python challenge hunt okay where more than 600 people are going to be with me and we're going to go to florida and we're going to fit or we're going to hunt for pythons excellent and whoever can kill <laughs> yes smithers <laughs> or or kill or capture the most you know of these because there's pythons everywhere i guess now people yeah. have just been releasing them oh yeah there's so, some in the building right now it's re- yeah in fact i saw one down the hall I think there's one in uh, Classical 89. Well, is right that now. what you're calling her? Um, in in the end, what I'm talking about is a hunt. And we go, the three of us go head to head, and we see who can get more pounds of python. I just think it would bond us together. <laughs> I can think I of a lot of things that, just, would, that yeah. would bond us that don't involve hunting pythons. How about pythons? we just eat brisket as opposed to hunting pythons? Like, why does it have to be, one, in Florida and then two have, have, isn't, isn't there a movie about a python? I believe it's called uh, Python. Okay. Oh, that was Anaconda. Oh, Anaconda. With J-Lo. Well, I watched that, and I thought that seemed the like... classic they... snake film, yeah. Anaconda. But right before they all died, I thought, look, they look like they're close. So I thought that would be us. Oh, We'd they be were close. close in the python's belly. <laughs> in the oh, belly. I killed it. Tommy boy. 
Chris Farley. <laughs> so I, I wish I, we could use those drops like your show can. No. Be like JoJo the Indian Circus boy with a pretty new bed. <laughs> Yeah. You guys, I, I'm not. Movie. I'm not feeling the love of this idea. No, let's. Uh, we can choose a different activity. It doesn't have to be. You guys if aren't you pay afraid for us to play golf at uh, like the TPC Sawgrass and like all yeah. that stuff. Oh yeah, we'll go. We'll go no. python hunting with you. Kay. I won't. No, you even, know what? Even if that Don Donald Donald pay for anything. BYU Radio's budget is unbelievable. I know. This will be easy. All we're, we'll just say we're going to. We're Sheila go- line will be all over that. He'll we're just going us. to we're going to retreat, a team building retreat. Yes. yes. We need listen, is anyone else doing a crosstalk for no. five to ten minutes no. every day? No. Okay. Okay then. See? Hey honey, road trip to Florida. Um we're gonna play some golf. We're gonna and do some don't, don't worry and, about uh, the Python part. <coughs> and, Pythons. And there's a thirty percent chance you won't come back. <laughs> but I, my wife assumes that every day. Does she? Yeah, today's commute felt like that. Hey, um, crazy. talk to me about the basketball game where Coach Sataki comes out and introduces all the coaches. A lot of energy there. That looked uh, cool. Th- it was a sellout Saturday, not because it was Pepperdine, but because BYU fans were excited to see the first public appearance from Kalani Sataki and the coaching staff. And and believe it or not, the biggest roar was not for Kalani when he was in. I saw. It was for Ty Detmer. Sir Ty Detmer. Like the, I mean, he's been back a bunch uh, to BYU, but that was quite the welcome. I mean, a lot, lot of energy at halftime, man. He, and, yeah. and it was football, and it was new era, and it was this nineteen thousand cool. strong. It, it it was a cool moment. And we keep, we're going to play that entire speech, by the way, coming up on the show. Are you really Sataki's entire speech? Yes. Oh wow! Yeah, you'll hear the whole thing if you missed it. You done got video. We done got some audio, too. Oh, my heavens. Since it's a radio and TV show, we decided we should get both. Attaboy. Attaboy. Um, talk about, I hear the, I, all I keep hearing about are we have these top-rated recruits that are visiting the school. They and, are visiting. Now the question is, can we get them to sign the dotted line? Yeah. And actually commit to come play football at the Brigham Young University. <laughs> The Brigham. Do you do you think that will happen, or is this are these courtesy visits? But these were these courtesy visits that we weren't getting before. Well, here's the thing: if a guy's not going to sign if he doesn't come on an official visit, like okay, right. he, he wants to see campus, he wants to interact with potential teammates uh, from that class and guys on the team, see the coaching staff facilities, all that. So BYU had an impressive uh, list of guys that were in town. They some of them won't sign here. That's just how it is. Uh, but some of them might. Mm. Some of them might, and that's why you go after them. BYU's, I think, aimed uh, for a different kind of player. I'm not getting into, like, oh, athletically, uh, spiritually, uh, you know, not that per se, but just a di- they've been more aggressive, I think, with um, more talented guys, as opposed to Bronco Mendenhall staff, which was Prove to us you want to be here more. Like, played the loyalty card more. Yeah. BYU's going after the talent card. It feels like a little more. And I guess that's so we would attribute that to Sataki's incredible recruiting style. Recruiting style. Yeah. And the, and the staff. I, I mean, every coach has a different kind of personality. Um, and this staff, I think, has a, a different kind of personality that caters to that. Mm. Mm. I, that it, always, it always said, like, after you comment on someone that's gone – it seems like, and and we don't know if how good they're going to be. It feels like it's a diss on the yeah, previous right. no. staff. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. It's just different. You it's, know, you won an average of nine games with the previous staff. 
Yeah. The oh, staff's yeah. got got some pressure. To right. Do that. Well, and can you imagine being um, Sir Ty Detmer? And then all and of, he is sir here. That's, he, that's no, he's correct. totally sir. It's, he was knighted. It's the correct way to totally. Um, it, it he's got a lot of pressure, man. I mean, to get that much love from the fans, and then you got to have a good year. But it's going to be a tough year. I think he enjoys it. Does he? To be quite honest, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think he enjoys the challenge and the pressure that come with the expectations thrown his way immediately. See, I would have been, I would have, after my little wave, when I walked off, I'd go right behind the wall and just start crying. And I'd be in the fetal position, screaming for mommy. And that's, that's why you're here. And Ty Detmer is there. That's what separates us, huh? <laughs> that and a Heisman Trophy. That, that little piece of, you know, hardware. <laughs> oh, man, you kids. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a great show. Knock them dead. That's at the top of the hour, right? Well, Always. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, don't disappoint. I know you never have. I'm just saying don't start this now. might be the day. Hopefully not. And I, I'm, I'm going to go sharpen my machete so we can do the Python thing. Okay. I've already bought you guys some. We've got matching shirts. Woo! And Daisy Duke cutoff jeans. Okay. Going to be a party. Oh, okay. I promise you'll love it. Okay, guys, have a great show. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. They think I'm joking. I'm not joking. I've got Daisy Dukes cut off. I've been fraying them all morning. It took a long time to design those T-shirts, too. Oh, I know. It's huge. I, and the, I, how, is, don't you think it's funny how the python wraps around the shirt? Yeah, almost like it's like squeezing you. It's like squeezing you. But it's not. It's just a shirt. But, it, you know, it feels like you're being squeezed with the shirt. Hey, um, anyway, today, by the way, National Freedom Day and Decorating with Candy Day. Uh, okay, here's one that's crazy. You ready for this? Uh, a man is charged with arson after he set fire to a rug in his apartment on Thursday. And he was making a political statement to prove that he wasn't a loser. Insult me to my face. Austin Fire Crews responded to a call at an apartment on January 14th at around 7.30 p.m. after the request from Austin Police Department, who had received a call for a disturbance between a mother and her son. According to an affidavit, police found evidence of a small fire inside the apartment and detained Scott Anthony Thomas Hodge, 20, while waiting for the fire crews. Upon questioning, police say Hodge waived his Miranda rights and told investigators he was uh, he was in his room and began to get in a bad mood because of a program he was watching about politics. Hodge said he then burned a hat with a lighter and placed it on the rug, all of which was recorded on Instagram. Police say Hodge was trying to make a political point and statement, and uh, he wanted people to know that he's not a loser. Okay? So we ourselves, we have our own very own loser test. Uh, Is Scott a loser for lighting his hat on fire in his room? Sorry, Scott. It passed the test. You passed the test. You can't light your hat on fire, Scotty. Scotty, how many times has Mama told you? You can't light your hat on fire. That shows you how much power the radio has. Because you got people that are, somebody said so-and-so, that whoever follows so-and-so is probably a loser. 
So he's like, where's my hat? I, I wonder how much destruction this show causes. Oh, tons. Except we also save lives because when someone is causing destruction in your life, Taze it. My new product from Tasers Are Us, soon to be released, will be bedazzling and bejeweling a taser. It's almost like we're promoting the, the damage to take place. Well, we're, we're, we're promoting the, 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 the solution to okay. have less damage. Tase okay. it. Just tase it. And the tasers aren't for people. Let's be very real. We're finding out you can use tasers for anything, right? You, got it. you can't find your staple remover? You just tase it. That staple is going to fly out. Just don't be touching it when you tase it. You have to leave it for at least 24 hours before you touch it again. (laughs) Yeah. Do not tase a a shag carpet because you will die. That's right. Instead, if this guy, instead of, you know, starting his house on fire by lighting his hat on fire, all he should have done is grabbed the taser, placed it firmly against his leg. Taze it. Problem solved. Problem solved, folks. That's why I'm the doctor and the doctor is in. Hey, uh, we always like to end with a hero story. Today is the story of a, um, a budding scientist, Emily Duffy from Limerick, Dublin, Uh, After spending a day fundraising for the homeless in her community, 15-year-old Emily Duffy invented a sleeping bag that could change the way cities address homelessness. The sleeping bags are lined with a brick layer of fireproof bubble wrap that not only protects from flames but also keeps the user dry. The bags are also reflective for safety measure. Duffy was praised by, uh, by others for her invention, some saying it could save lives on the streets of Dublin. Nicknamed Duffily Bags... They're being made by former homeless people and given out in an emergency accommodation center in the middle of the city. The workers are former street uh, drinkers who have gone through Dublin's detox program and are paid more than minimum wage, $10 an hour, to make the sleeping bags. The goal is to encourage them back into work and to help those living on the streets. Emily Duffy from Limerick, Dublin. You're the hero of the day, folks. That's the show. You're all heroes to us. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools, and we'll figure out what happened with the Iowa caucuses. Join us again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk tomorrow.